Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, our guest today is my friend Tom. Now, Tom is a federal agent, and although he's not able to talk about a lot of the work that he does for the man, he can talk in generalities about some of the things that he has done. Now, Tom joined the military right after high school, and he was deployed overseas shortly after boot camp. He spent most of his military career overseas. After the military, Tom ended up in Dallas for school and joined the police force down there and was on the force for about seven years. While on the force, he was applying for a job as a federal agent and he took a position here in Ohio. And today we talk mostly about Tom's military career and I had a blast listening to his stories and I hope that you do too. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have with me my good friend, Tom. Tom, how are we doing? We're doing fine. So Tom is a federal agent and he has a colorful background, and today we're going to kind of get into some of his backgrounds um, with being an agent and in the military and even as a police officer, and Tom has uh, some very interesting ideas to share when it comes to um, point shooting and using tactics in the real world. And hopefully we're going to get into some of those, maybe not today, but definitely in future episodes. So I guess we can just start off from the beginning. I assume you joined the military probably right after high school. Yeah, I was uh, 
we just got out of high school. You know, I was one of them troubled kids in high school. And <laughs> Did you uh, get into a, like a bunch of like suspensions and stuff in school and cause a bunch of trouble and all the teachers kind of hated you? Was well, that kind of sort of that? And, you know, I started to become a rebel, got a girlfriend that was in college. It was, you know, typical rebel child that didn't want to go to school, didn't want to do things. So. I, I think most of us can appreciate that and kind of understand where you're coming from a little bit because by the time you're in high school, you're kind of just ready to be done. And I remember my senior year was, was pretty tough to get through. So, in, You add to the fact that my father moved a lot, so I went to more schools and there were grades. So it just got to the point where I'm sitting there, I was uh, 18 and I had more, uh, you know, this school doesn't, transfer to this school and i'm looking at another year of school and i'm just looking are you at kidding me and, yeah it was it was crazy i mean it was i'm sitting looking at another year of school and i'm 18 years old i'm like screw this i'm going to the army okay and then my at the time my girlfriend was like oh yeah that's a great idea i'll join the army too which like all good ideas never pan out in the in the future doesn't sound like a great idea <laughs> Well, we thought it was at the oh, time. Of course. You definitely think it is at the time, but then after about five years, you realized that was a pretty horrible idea. Well, you know, I went in the Army. I went to uh, Fort Sill. She went in to Sam Houston, and I never saw her again. Yeah, that's usually how that works. Yeah, she and afterwards, I went to Germany, and she went to Hawaii. Couldn't get any farther away. <laughs> so, you know, two letters, and it was like, okay, bye, bye. So uh, why were you moving around so much with uh, schooling? Was your dad in the military? or He worked for the government, too. So okay. he was moving about every two years. Okay. So just taking different posts in different locations, and you just pack up and go. It's kind of what you have to do. It's and, the old days where every two years you got moved. Okay. And that's unfortunately the trouble of having a job like that is it's not your choice. No. You I just mean, have to go. Right. They just tell you, hey, you're going to this place. You're going to that place. Yeah. And my father also wanted to move up, so he took opportunities in different locations which, which makes sense i mean sometimes you have to do that to kind of move upward is you have to you know move sideways yeah i mean that's in the government it is it's a lot of sideways to move up you know two steps to the left to move up one okay now in uh school did you play any sports or do anything or i wrestled and uh did a lot of that stuff okay so uh you know like just, did you wrestled since you were like six years old or was that like a junior high high school thing it started or? in junior high i okay I got thrown into the wrestling team and I didn't know how to wrestle. So my father was wrestled in high school. So he spent a lot of time with me and I did really good at it and, you know, did well. And then, you know, did it at this school. Then we switched to another school and it's like typical, you know, there's schools that if you, if you're naturally talented, they, they promote you. And then you go to another school and, oh, well, the coach's son's friend is wrestling at your weight, so therefore, you know, he's going to be the team guy, even yeah. though you can beat him. So it was it was a lot of different kind of eye-opening um, things that went on as and you move around. unfortunately, that's kind of how the world works. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the way it is. You go one, and it's like, oh, you're, you know, you're the you're the next greatest thing, and you go to the next one, it's like, oh, just sit, and, sit on the bench. <laughs> so it was, it was frustrating, you know, going through high school because I went through – I think five different high schools. Wow. Uh, the only, I went through t two junior highs because I got lucky. It was in one of those, because it's only a two year thing. So I went up in Ohio to, to seventh grade, halfway through it, then moved to Georgia, spent the next, actually I went to three junior highs. Now I'm thinking about it. Okay. Went to Georgia, went to the, finished that year, then went to another, we moved to another part of Georgia and I went through at another school. 
Now, did you have a lot of friends that you kept in touch with from all the different schools? Or was it kind of just when you left, you left and you tried to make new friends and you got a new place? And Well, I mean, you've got to remember this is in the in the 80s. So social media wasn't around like it is now. And yeah. long distance calls were super expensive. So I mean, basically, you're going to write your friends. And that's, right. that's the only way to keep, really keep in touch with them. And you know how that goes. When you first move, you keep in touch. And as you... As you spend more time there, you know, you find new friends and your friends find new friends and things kind of taper off. Okay. Now, did you do any other sports in school or was it just the wrestling? It was pretty much wrestling. I played, uh, you know, other sports like when I went to the school in, in high school in, in Ohio, they had a, it was a private school. So they made you do more things. So I did soccer uh, being left-handed, I was on the team because I was, you know, the left wing. Uh, so I did soccer. Let's see. I did football in junior high. Uh, just different things. Okay, and so you played a bunch of different sports. Not Nothing too crazy. Wrestling was like the big yeah. one that you kind of stuck with. Everything else was kind of here and there, just playing to have fun. It was the one I had the, the natural team. ability with. Okay, fair that enough. That I liked. It okay. was kind of fun to, you know, have some guy talk smack to you and you pin them you know <laughs> always a good time right <laughs> okay so you, you get out of high school you think you have to spend more time in there right. did, did you have to spend an extra year or did you say i went in the army deuces were out yeah yeah i went in the army okay so you went right to, right to the army yeah i didn't realize the hole i was digging myself into when i said screw you you know high school i had enough of your shit i'm going to the army haha well that comes back to haunt me later so i had to you know make up all that time and uh took me a while to get through my first, through my associate's degree. Okay. So I had to go back and take a lot of different classes that I wouldn't have if I had just stuck it through the first time. Okay. So so you got into the Army. Um, how was uh, boot camp? Well, boot camp was kind of a, uh, it was in, let me think, this was 1988 I went in, and so it was still the old the old uh, routine. You go, to, you go to reception, you're sitting there, and, you know, it's, everything's okay and then they law you into thinking it and they put you in this cattle car and you're sitting on your one duffel bag with the other duffel bag on your lap and you got the guy behind your knees and your crack you know, the back of your ass and <laughs> elbow to elbow and your knees and the guy's ass in front of you so you're like packed in there like sardines and you're riding in this cattle car dust coming through the little holes in the side and you don't you you know, it's the calm before the storm. So we're just <laughs> we're sitting there going, Oh shit, what are we where are we going? And you know, and the drill sergeant's sitting over there by the door and, uh, you know, like just chilling. And then all of a sudden the, the good old the cattle car stops. stops and and then the drill sergeant's eyes roll back in his head like a Mako shark. And he starts screaming, get the fuck off my bus, you know, off my cattle car. Get out, get out. And everybody's like packed in there. Nobody knows what to do. And you see him throw the first guy out the out the door and kick the bag after him. And it's just like, you know holy shit and all you could see is like tunnel vision of that little light you know and it's like i just got to get to the light i just got to get out of here before he kills us all <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get through the light and you realize that it's much worse out here with 30 of them than it is in the cattle car with one of them and they're yelling what the fuck are you doing what are you looking at get down give me 20 you get over there and they're just screaming you know, and you're doing push-ups in this swamp, and you know you're, you're pushing, and you don't really realize because you're scared shitless how many push-ups you do. And finally, it comes to a point where you can't do anymore, and they're yelling at you, "What's the matter? You, you, you can't do anymore, you big pussy. Get, uh, give me ten more." And then you finally like plump on the ground, you can't move, and then they like 
push you over. Oh, you can't do it, you worthless piece of shit. Do sit-ups. So you start doing sit-ups, and then the next thing you know, it's you can't do any more sit-ups. Get up and run in place. And then three or four of them come up, and they beat you with their hats. You know, what the fuck are you looking at? You know, And there's this train going by you know, way out there, and they said, you better run for that fucker, and you better get on it, because that's your last hope to get out of here. And you're just sitting there thinking, can I run for it? And you're like, oh, man, dude, I can't even, I can't even walk. I'm gonna... And then, you know... They come over and they yell at you some more, and you're and usually they stopped when everybody puked. Okay. Then they said, "Okay, go get your bags." And you're like, "You're like, you're like, like a, you can barely walk. Yeah, it's like you can't a, move your arms. It hurts to breathe. It looks like The Walking Dead. All these zombies dragging their their bags up to the room. You're just covered in mud, and you get up there, and you know nobody talks back. You know, you just oh shit, dude, I'm just I'm gassed. And you just get up there and you're sitting there, and they're like, "All right, get get this crap off, get changed, and get that stuff and." and laundry that stuff and put your stuff in the wall locker and they got you know like like, like the perfect layout and you're just sitting there going holy shit what did i get myself into so it's it's definitely a rude awakening oh yeah because i assume it's probably not like that in your high school you know uh morning class what they call that home room or whatever no it's probably not like that so not even like pt yeah, so rude awakening. So does, do things calm down when you go through that kind of stuff, or do they keep that same intensity the entire time of training? I know a lot of that's psychology, and they're they're trying to band you together and make you hate them and all those kind of things. And I understand that. But. It, it, it tapered off. It was it was really strict at the beginning, okay. and as you went. So it's more just to set the precedence. Right. And then you're going to move into things. Right. And the problem of it is, is there's always some jerk in your unit that okay. always gets in trouble. So it'll it'll slack off, and then somebody will decide, well, you know, I'm smarter than drill sergeants. They can't catch me. I'm going to sneak over to the NCO club. And then about and what's th- that? That's the non-commissioners, non-commissioned officers club where you, you go to drink. Okay. So they go, so... 3.30 in the morning, we're sitting there sleeping, and the drill sergeant comes in. Get the fuck out of your beds. Get downstairs. You're like, whatever you're wearing, right? You're out there. And then he's like, hold on a minute. Put on put on your PT pants and shirt. So we get him on and meet downstairs. So we go downstairs, and uh, we're down there outside. And so, it's not, so it's not even light yet. No, it's like middle of the night, cold, and it's, you know, we're sitting on what the hell's going on. And he's like, one of your, one one or more of your, your, uh, what do they call them? But recruits have, have decided to go AWOL. So we're going to PT until they come back. So it was. It had to be early night. It had to be like 1 o'clock in the morning because the bar closed at 2. So 1 o'clock in the morning, we're down there freezing our ass off doing PT and basically chanting, you know, private so-and-so and private so-so. You know, you've abandoned us and we're out there doing PT, <laughs> you know, up, down, run in place, roll left, roll right. And we're doing this for about a good 45, 50 minutes out there. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God. And then we see these two figures walking like towards us and all of a sudden they stop and you can see them going, oh, shit, that's our people. That's our names. And you could see them thinking, do we just run for it? And they, the heads go down and they come walking in and, you know, we're we're gassed by now and they're like, you know. You, you've decided to leave your troop, and your troop's going to pay for it, but not dearly as you are. And they dismissed us to go up to our rooms. You know, and this is probably now 3 o'clock, no, 2.30 in the morning because it was 2 o'clock when they came back. You know, they joined in for a little bit, and then they dismissed us. We went up in the room, you know, in our rooms. And, you know, you got to keep this place spotless. So, you know, by the time you get to bed, it's almost wake-up time again because you only have, you know, you have 10 showers, but you only use two because you got to keep the other eight immaculate. So everybody showers and gets 
gets to bed. So, really... so there's less to clean. Right. Okay. Right. So there's like use two toilets out of ten, use two showers out of ten. It's it's the crazy, you know, keep everything dress right dress. So you're not spending all day cleaning. So we get done, get there, we go to breakfast, we come back, and they're still out there being PT. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh wow. So it was stuff like that that was in the military that just made you go, I'm not bucking the system because <laughs> I'm not doing that shit. Well, I mean, it's. It's one thing if they do it to themselves and, right. and they're getting punished by themselves. They can be like, okay, well, screw this. I don't care. I'm only hurting myself. But when they PT the whole unit and you guys all get smoked because they were being dumbasses and thought, oh, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to go drink. I'm going to have fun and screw these guys. And No, they'll make you pay for that because it's oh, not like they haven't seen it before. Right. No, and, nothing you do is different, Jack. Like This has all been seen. In, 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 I hate to say this, but the snitches all get to be snitching a lot faster because they don't want to be doing it. Yeah, I understand. That. I mean, I've talked to people who went in the military and and they were in shape, like maybe somebody like you who who wrestled, who was in shape, is used to being punished from wrestling practices, normal to them. It's like, okay, whatever, I'll just be a smart ass and I'm going to get my, my whole unit smoke because I don't care. I can do a bunch of push ups. It doesn't bother me. And they thought of it as just as a funny thing to just get back at other people, maybe that they didn't like or what have you. And it's like, no, you need to kind of get past that if you're going to work together as a team. And I, and I think that's that's the idea of. Of what the military is trying to do. Right. Is, is break you of your own individuality so that you survive together in combat. That's the whole purpose, right? And back then, too, there are, our drill sergeants were a little more demonic than they are now. So they kind of pushed it to a level where even if you were in shape, if until the last person, since people started puking, they, they pushed us up to about that point. Yeah. So when the first person puked, they knew they were hitting that level. So... It wasn't like in high school you got smoked. It was it was like a I called it a a light smoking, <laughs> and we went into the in the in the army and it took it to a whole nother level of, okay. of of smoking and you know I never got pushed in the in wrestling or football or soccer or anything where I started puking. Yeah, but they did it there. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're trying to push you past your breaking point. No, oh, yeah, and that's the idea. Like especially when you first get there, it's a rude awakening. Like oh. holy shit. You know, you, you get there and they shave your head and you go look at yourself in the mirror and you go, who the fuck is that? Oh, wait a minute, that's me. You know, who's that make, ugly bastard? Make you all look alike. Yeah, you look like a bunch of cue balls going everywhere. <laughs> so did you, uh, did you get through basic without any trouble or did you get held back any weeks from injury or anything? Or? I made it through in the norm, with the normal class, even though I got my nose broke in, uh -oh. a, in a fight. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was one of those ones where it was kind of like, you know, somebody would start it. And they would grab the guy, you know, he'd start stuff and nobody wanted to get in trouble. So they would grab the other guy. What just still happened when this happened, the guy got mouthy and I said something back to him. And they grabbed me to keep me from hitting him. Well, when he saw me being held, he swung one of those haymakers. Instead of trying to get it in the side of the jaw, I tried to move my head back and he caught my nose. Okay. And like broke it. So it was all the way over to the, you know, the side, the opposite side the way he hit me. And I was like, oh shit. And then somebody said, oh, you know, immediately the snitch ran upstairs. There was a fight and he broke his nose. So the drill sergeant comes down and says, did this happen? I'm like, yeah. He's like, go, go see the medic. So they send me the medic and I'm sitting there and waiting around, you know, and the doctor comes in, looks at me and goes, yep, it's broken. He goes, you got your ID card? And I'm like, Yes, and I handed him my ID card, and he's like, "Oh, wow, that's that's pretty fucked up." I'm like, "Okay." And he's like, <laughs> he, he, puts, at, he looked at a picture of you and it looked at your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, they, that, how did that happen? I, you know, I tell him the story, and he's like, "Oh shit!" So he puts the ID card next to my face, and he looks at it, and he goes, "Ah," and he goes, "Close your eyes," 
you know, he puts the, he hands the ID card to the nurse, goes, close your eyes. You know, he puts his hands on my thing. He goes, just think about something good. And I heard, and he like, he looks, he goes, oh, that's almost straight. And he goes, close your eyes. I'm like, I'm like tears running my eyes. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Is that sir? And I'm like, you fucking serious, sir? And he goes, close your eyes. And he goes, oh, it's on straight now. I'm like, holy shit. He goes, go back to the unit. <laughs> <laughs> Military medicine at its best. Yeah, you know, it's, oh no, it's straight. He's like looking at the ID card again, like, oh yeah, it's straight now. Okay, go back to unit. Okay, so so you so you got done with basic now. Everything's good. We get through, other than the fight. Obviously, you broke, right. your, broke your nose. They got it all straightened back out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you go off then for more training, or what happened then? Well, we our our, our basic was basic in AIT. So they were together. This is the advanced, advanced training. Individual training, yep, right? Yep. So we go through advanced training. We get all that stuff done. We get done. We go through the ceremony and they say, okay, you got two weeks and they start handing out orders, which my orders is Germany. Okay. I never been out of the United States. I'm like, oh shit, got to go to Germany, you know? And I, you know, and at the time, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to Germany. And so I get a letter from the girlfriend, from my girlfriend saying, oh, I'm going to, to, uh, Hawaii. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking, oh boy, we can't get any farther. So I'm kind of, you know, I went home, spent time with my, my family. And did you have a couple weeks leave or? Two weeks. Okay. So I did some time, drove around, saw my friends and then uh, got on the plane, you know, and went to Germany. So we get to Germany. Now, did you go over like in a commercial plane or yep. did you go over a military plane? Uh, a okay. commercial plane. Okay. So we went over, I went over there uh, and at the time it, we just I went over in civilian clothes, report it. Uh, at the time, this was when there was a huge buildup in 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 Germany of troops. So they had, I mean, the town I was ultimately stationed at, uh, that they had more military people in that town than they did civilians. Okay, German civilians. So this is at the height of the Cold War over there. Okay. So I go to uh, it, and everybody's gonna say nobody's gonna. They're all gonna go. What is he talking about? It was at the time it was Rhine Mine. Air, Air Force Base, which is now Frankfurt International Airport. Okay. So we, we, I report there, and I report it to a placement battalion. So I get there, and when I get over there, I see one of the guys I went through basic with. We're hoping we're going to go in, a, in, in the same unit. They're like, oh, no, you're going this way, and you're going that way. So I'm like, okay. So I'm riding in, through Germany, and they drop me off at the front gate with my two duffel bags. That way. There you go. Figure it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like 6 o'clock. So I get in there, and it's like the base is like, empty and i'm like oh what's going on here so i get there in the cq desk i'm like I'm the what the cq desk charge of quarters okay so in the army they got charge of quarters there's somebody that's on duty 24 7 okay it makes sense so yeah every every battery has a charge of quarters and then headquarters has a charge of quarters and that's why there's there's a sergeant and a a enlisted they're on duty on each battery and headquarters so okay. if something happens you can you know ring the bell and everybody comes running well, there was nobody but the headquarters charge of quarters there, the CQ. So I report, and he's like, well, everybody's in the field. You know, uh, go all the way up to the top of the building in the attic and find a cot. So, you know, I've been traveling, you know, what, two days now overseas. So I go up there, and I fall asleep. And I wake up at some god for awful hour, I think like 10, 10 p.m., and I go down, and I go, hey, I need to eat. And he's like, oh, it's closed. I'm like, is there a restaurant? Oh, five miles that way. I'm <laughs> like, oh, so my rude awakening to Germany. So I'm 
I spent two days in the attic with nothing to do and nowhere to go. And then they said, oh, we're going to send you out to the field. And you got to remember, they're sending me out to the field with everything I own. Okay. Which is, you know, civilian clothes, everything else. So they put me in another van, drive another day, and now I'm out in the field. So I'm sitting there and like, what am I going to do now out in the middle of the woods? <laughs> and uh, so this officer comes over and says, can you type? And I'm like, like, like type type or like peck type? And he goes, can you type this? this form and i go i'll try so i peck peck typed you know three finger typed and i only had one mistake he's like that's better than the guy that really can type and he goes uh (laughs) we're sending you to to s2 which is intelligence so i'm like okay so i spent my first time out in the field in intelligence you know answering radios and doing intel stuff and uh so i spent my time out in the field doing that okay so spend time in the field we go back to the unit to get me in the unit and first of all, the sergeant major, he doesn't like it because I'm, I'm an E1, and why is E1 an S2, and that should be an E4 that's had experience. So he had it out for me. But I did, you know, I did such a good job, the sergeant wanted to keep me. Okay. So it became the battle between the master sergeant and the command sergeant major. Well, it was, you know, a fight of who can outlast who. <laughs> so he didn't like me in S2, so they switched me to S3, and I drove the major. S3 is ops, so I did all the ops with the major. So I learned how to how the how the battalion moves, the operations, uh, and and different things like that. Like you know, where you kept track of where all the batteries are and where everything's moving, and you know, you went in and an, you answered the radio. You did different things, you know, uh, decoded messages. It was an interesting job. It was kind of like the assistant to the S3, but you know, you can't make any decisions, but you're always doing things for him. Okay. So we did that for, I did that for another year. And then the master sergeant, he basically retired. And after that, the command sergeant major is like, you're going to the battalion. You know, you're going to the battery. You're going to the line because I've had enough of this. So they okay, said. So, so the guy who liked you retired. And the right. guy that had it out for you was like, Haha, right. fuck you, who buddy. really at this time hated me. Okay. I was, you know. What would you do to piss him off? Just just that. Just he thought of, you know, I needed to go into the into the gun line at E1 and learn my job. Okay. So it's it's kind of ironic. So he, he thought you kind of maybe short skated some promotions and, and got handed some stuff he didn't deserve. Is, right. that, is that what he was thinking? Yeah. Okay. He you know, he was like, but you know, I went in there and they they asked me, "Are you going to make a career of this?" I'm like, "Hell no." <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how I was talked into this in the beginning. Because you would go like through doing, another year of high school. Right. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm short changing, you know, getting out of high school a year early to go in the army. And now I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. Now I'm, So he just totally had it out for me, which, it, you know, later on, it, it, it's kind of funny. But so he sends me to the to the gun line, you know, on the howitzers. So I get to the I get to the Bravo battery and they're like, you work you worked S2. Mm-hmm. You worked Intel. Mm hmm. Uh, hmm. Well, you're going to be our battery ops assistant. Okay. So they well, put me with a lieutenant. So what does that mean? So, you know, uh, at the battalion, you're looking at all the batteries. Alpha battery, Bravo battery, Charlie battery. How, how many people are in a battery? Oh, I'd say about a... Uh, it depended on... Uh, peacetime and wartime is a little different. So I would say about 50 people a battery. Okay. So you you had all these batteries. And wartime is about 100. It, okay. So, I mean, they they... They uh they pumped our 
our numbers up when we went to Iraq later on. But and when we're in peacetime, it was about 50 people because of turnover and everything like okay. that. So instead of running where all three battalions were, I had to man the radio for the one battery. And then, you know, check, make sure the fire direction center, which is, is a group of people that tell you where to shoot. They taught me how to do that. And I was, I would always look at what they would do, make sure that they were on and everything was, everything in the battery is all right. So you're going to be like a double check. Yeah. And, and, and anytime that things were going on, I was always going to Lieutenant, Hey, this is going on. This is going on. This is going on. Because a lot of times the NCOs wouldn't pass it to the Lieutenant. So I was kind of like his ear, eyes and ears everywhere. Okay. And, you know, even though I was inferior in rank because of the position, a lot of times I got a lot of animosity from the the higher NCOs because, you know, they felt that I, I had more authority than my rank should give me. Okay. So it started to cause a little bit of problems there too, because, you know, everything I would see and do, I would report it to the Lieutenant because that was my job. And, uh, so it was an interesting thing. So I get over there and, because I was in Intel, I was in in uh, ops. They threw another thing on my plate, special weapons, which was nuclear. At the time in Germany, we had nuclear weapons okay. that we used to assemble. So because they needed an extra person, they said, sit in there and go through the class. So next thing you know, I'm sitting in the class. And now, you know, then I had to go pick them up. You know, at the time, uh, they had different... Uh, uh, how do you, I don't know how to explain this. So we had nuclear weapons, but these nuclear weapons weren't assembled. Okay. So they were stored at a certain place. Well, when we go in the field and practice these runs on, on like Russia, if the war ever happened, they had a training piece that would look just like it, assembled just like it, just didn't have any uh, uranium or plutonium in it. I don't, I don't remember what they used at okay. the time, but it looked just like it, assembled just like it. So you had to have a top you had to have a, like this certain clearance to go get it. So we would go get this thing and take it there and I'd watch them assemble it and grade them on assembling it. And it just got to be this whole other world of, of craziness that you got into because it was just this, you know, cloak and dagger about it. So you had to go get it, bring it, assemble it, and then move it to wherever you're going to, to the, where the howitzer was and okay. then send it. So it was, it was, it was, that was a lot of fun. So I did, I, you know, I got in all kinds of weird Well, it sounds stuff. like, it sounds like you got moved all over the place. You didn't just go in to do your job. And what was your original MOS? It was 13 Bravo. It was artillery. Okay. So you were, you were artillery man, mm-hmm. but you got into a, a intelligence and yep. then got put out in the field and, right. and, and then you were running uh, for the lieutenant. What were you doing? I was, I, first I went ops, then I, no, I went Intel ops and then I became the battery ops. Okay. And then they got me in the special weapons because it, you know you had to build the thing. Okay, and that was the the, the nuclear devices. Right. right. So uh, how long of a time frame is all this as you're spending time in Germany? It's just... a, I spent a total of almost I think 3 and a half years. Okay. So, so this is 3 and a half years of just doing all kinds of different stuff. Right. Actually I think it was 3 years because the other half of the year was basic and then uh, our, uh Desert Storm. Okay. So it was about three years of that. So uh, about 19, when was that? 19, end of 19, mid-1989, President Bush signs a, a, a executive order removing all nuclear weapons from Germany. Okay. So now I'm an unemployed special weapons person. <laughs> so for the first time, I get put in an artillery battalion. 
Which is your actual job. It's my actual job. So I'm sitting there, and the sergeant major, like, totally... Well, it's kind of funny because right before this, you know, this is... While this is going on, I'm doing special weapons, and at the end of 1989, you've got the fall of the wall going on. Okay. So we're... This is the Berlin Wall. Yeah, the Berlin Wall. The whole... And you got to remember, there was actually two walls. There's one that went around Berlin, which is the big concrete thing, and then there was a a lesser wall that completely separated East Germany from West Germany. And then they had what was known as the 1K zone. So as a soldier, unless you were up doing guarding on that one, on the wall, wall, you couldn't get within a kilometer of the border. Okay. So if you were on the... Was that just be seen as a war act? And since this was peacetime and you were doing war games, essentially... Well, you got to understand, this was like a... A great wall. I mean, a, a, when I say great at wall, it was a like a wire wire fence that went through it. Okay. And we're talking just not like chain link fence. We're talking like a wire that you couldn't get your fingers in to climb. And it must have been about, uh, you know, 15 feet high. Okay. And then they had guard towers. And then, and how the East Germans did it, the Russians, is, and the reason I kept everybody a, a kilometer back was... The, where the fence set was actually in East Germany. Okay. You know, like 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 a thousand feet back, and in between that and the actual border was minefields. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then they had another. They had like anti-tank traps and another fence behind it. Okay. So they had a series of of obstacles to get to into East Germany, and it went all the way along the wall. I have a picture of it. It's kind of cool how how far back they grade it back from where the actual border was all the way to where the last tank trap was. Okay. And, I, and we were up there doing a, a border tour and I got a picture of this off a, off a hill looking down into a valley. It was oh, really cool. cool. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, you would have to go through about a quarter of a mile of these obstacles to even get to the border. <laughs> to just get to the fence. Right. And the fence, and, you know, and then the fence was, you know, offset between, you know, a thousand, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet from the border depending on where you were and the, the, the topography of the of the land okay so it was kind of cool so we were out there watching you know doing a tour of the of the border and there's a bunch of us out there and we look across the way and there's three east germans all watching us and one's got a camera one's got a got, got a notebook and they're writing all our names down okay and the other guy's got an ak and he's watching us and writing our stuff down we're all waving at him and just like totally <laughs> ignoring us so it was it was kind of cool to see all that stuff okay so uh I forget where it was. You, you got moved into your actual right. military right. occupation okay, so, specialty. So this was going on. We were up there doing border tours, and uh, I got tapped by brigade, which is our higher unit, to do a general def- uh, a GDP, which is general defense plan of Germany, a overview for the on un- un- uh, sorry I'm stuttering again for the <laughs> oncoming. Uh, Seventh Corps Artillery Commander, which was C- Clayton Abrams Jr. Okay. So I go up there, and I go there with the with the battalion. I mean, sorry, this is the brigade S S three and S two. So I'm up there with a captain and a sergeant. You know, with, with you know, going through day one of war, day two of war, day three of war, and because I had spe- uh, special weapons background, we were showing where the nukes would go when the nukes would go off. All this okay. war plan that they had up there. So I'm sitting in front of a you know, one-star general whose dad was a, a legend giving a brief. So after I get done with this brief, we get in the vehicle in the Humvee and we're driving back. <coughs> Sorry about that. 
we're driving back to Nuremberg, and as we're driving, we've seen all these East German cars. And we're like, I, I looked at the captain, and I said, you know, everything we just said is just, you know, obsolete. And he goes, why do you say that? And I said, we're being invaded, but peacefully. And he starts laughing. He goes, yeah, I mean, <laughs> ton of the stuff. So about the time we were giving this brief, uh, the wall was falling, and the wall fell in Czechoslovakia. So all the people were going around out of East Germany and Czechoslovakia back into Germany and coming over the border. Okay. Like streams of them. I mean, we counted like, I think, uh, 90 cars and 43 kilometers. And you got to understand, these cars were like over overgrown lawnmowers. Okay. They had like a 400cc engine yeah. on it that he had to pull. And there was and they were just packed in these cars. And we were just zipping up on a Humvee. And then you'd like, where'd that car go? And, you know, because they're so small, you could probably put four of them in the back of it. So and I remember hearing a talk a long time ago talking about a car that came out of Germany during those kind of times. Travat. Yes. Yes, that's and, what these were. And they were comparing it to the other German cars, a BMW. Right. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's far and away different. When people talk about like, well, why is it so different? Like, well... Because of communism, this, oh, yeah. this is what happens. Like no you, air conditioning. You're only allowed to use certain technology. They tell you what you can and can't have, and you only have access to certain parts. Whereas in a, in a free market, you can build whatever you want, whatever your heart desires, whatever you can think of, and and it's just it's 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 funny to see stuff like that. Whereas you actually witnessed it in oh, person, yeah. right? And that that's that's pretty amazing. Is it a side to that? A, a few months after that, uh, you know, I was looking to get a BMW at the time, and I was looking at this one at the car lot, and this is a couple months. I went to, you know, I was out in the field. I come back. I walked to the car lot. And there isn't a car on the lot. Okay. I mean, they were like, they were like locusts. They came over. And as you went farther into Germany, more of these little cars you'd find broken down. And they were like locusts. They came in and they took all of the used cars. Anything <laughs> under X amount, they were gone. Okay. Because they went, they basically came over there and they bought clothes. They finally they, got the freedom to do what they wanted. Exactly. And I mean, not just what was available to them in a communist country. Right. They were just like having a, it was like, it was like. Woohoo! I can I can buy everything, and it was like it was everywhere you went. It was like out, out. It was it was amazing to okay. see how much stuff they bought and took back to the East East Germany. <laughs> so did did, they, did you change your uh, strategy of invading the country then, since you were already being invaded? Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was one of those ones. It's like okay, uh, and then the wall officially fell, and we're all like okay. And then they took nuclear weapons out of there. So then you know I'm back to where I want it. But the the side of that story was. After I gave that brief to the oncoming, uh, you know, Seventh Corps commander Clayton, J- I'm sorry, Clayton, Creighton Abrams Jr. I get that name. I'm, I'm like stuttering, like say, <laughs> say five times fast. That's all right. So after I gave that brief to him, I'm in a formation, and here comes the Sergeant Major hated me. I'm like, oh shit. He like locks eyes on me, and it's like a you know, it's like a shark, you know. Yeah, you know something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, I'm sitting just because he doesn't like you. Right. So he comes up to me and. Stands in front of me and looks at me, and I'm just standing there going, okay, here it comes. And he goes, I really didn't like you. I thought you were, you, you know, you thought you were better than everybody else. But I got to say, you did a really good briefing, and that was a damn good job, son. He puts his hands out his hand, and I'm like, is this the same guy? <laughs> He's like, just, you know, you, you've come a long way. And he shakes my hand, and everybody's, like, looking at me like, holy shit, you didn't chop off your head, yeah. you know? So... Me and him. You figured you'd be scrubbing the latrine with your toothbrush. Like, damn it. Yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, the way he looked at me and he just said that. And after that, he left me alone. So, so you earned his respect. Right. Good. So it was a it was an interesting time. And then we, at this point, you know, the Cold War is over. We're like, you know, this is this is heaven. What 
nothing can happen to us, you know, and a lot of us are getting kind of short and, you know, short means we got, you know, maybe six months left back on our, our, uh, a contract on our actually it's you you're stationed like i was stationed in germany three years because i extend it so okay. i had about six months left before i went back stateside okay so we're thinking everything's fun and and dandy what can happen to us we're just living the high life and then mr saddam hussein decided to invade kuwait so we're all sitting there thinking oh this was like august we're all sitting there thinking oh this is gonna be a short thing this is not gonna go very long and uh it kept going. So then the 82nd Airborne, 101st Airborne, all the 18th Airborne Corps gets sent over there. We're thinking, oh, this is going to be like Vietnam. They're not going to touch us. So uh, we're sitting there. <coughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> uh, they're not going to touch us. So we're sitting there. You know, November comes along. Thanksgiving comes. And we get the Thanksgiving news that we're going to iraq and we're all sitting going how the hell does this happen you know and uh, why us and then we find out that you know uh they talked to schwarzkopf and schwarzkopf had been in germany as a commander and he looked at it the, what the iraqis had and how the iraqis fight, fought and looked at it and says i want the seventh corps out of germany and as as a side to that prior to this being announced we're sitting in germany and this is about a month before this gets announced we're sitting there and uh, command comes up and says, well, we got two two divisions in Germany. We only need, uh, sorry, we got two corps in Germany, which is, you know, thousands of, of soldiers. We only need one. Fifth Corps is leaving to go back stateside. So we're packing them up for this month thinking, you know, oh, they're going, there's no way we're going to Iraq. And all of a sudden, Schwarzkopf goes, no, it's Seventh Corps going. Surprise. Fifth Corps staying. So we're like, all of a sudden, stop, go, shit. We've just, you know, given them, you know, we just were packing up these guys. Now they're staying. So now we're like looting fifth Corps to get everything we need and soldiers and supplies to go over to Iraq for the next month. So between Thanksgiving and, and mid December, we were just like, holy shit, we're really going and we're packing up, getting supplies. They're sending us more, more personnel, supplies, uh, vehicles. I mean, we're like bulking up to go over there. So the the whole thing about Iraq is we're we're we had to go to the go pick up some ammo which at the time we're looking at uh, defensive we're we're picking up mines okay. and I'm sitting there looking at it going this is not a good a good sign if we're picking up mines we're not picking up you know offensive we're going defensive so in December we finally pack up everything and get sent over there okay so. So you've been in Germany now for three years. You think you're pretty close. You're getting ready to get sent home because you've only got a few months left on your your tour. You're going to get sent back to the States, finish out the rest of your time probably, and then get out of the military. That's probably what you're thinking, right? Right. So so you get sent over into Kuwait. Actually, at the time, it's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Uh, Jabal. Okay. All Jabal. (laughs) And then how long did you guys get stuck over there? We were there about six months. Okay. So it was getting close to close to when I got back making the decision of what I'm going to do. I probably I uh I probably had a couple months left when I got back. Okay. At the time, you know, I, the other affront to this is at the time, you know, I have a girlfriend over in Germany, we're getting we were serious talking about getting married and then all of a sudden Iraq comes up and now I'm gone for six months. <laughs> so it threw a it threw a lot of monkey wrenches into the, you know, everything, you know, 
rainbows and unicorns and the next thing you know nope you're going you're going to some war over there we're like uh, it was just like a total shocker to a lot of us now what was it like uh heading over into there as you, you being artillery mm-hmm. you're loading up with mines thinking you're gonna set up defensive perimeters probably right minefields and, yeah and so as you get over there like what, what all kind of stuff went down well it was it was kind of interesting because we had to load vehicles on take them all the way up to northern germany to the ports load the vehicles on these uh big big ships you know we're okay. loading vehicles on there and then a, a skeleton crew went on the ship with them all the way around. So we were, we had probably about two weeks of downtime where we were just like sitting there going, is this really real? And we packed up everything. They put us on commercial airlines. We, we flew from Nuremberg to Rome, spent about two and a half hours out on the tarmac at Rome. And then we flew into Saudi Arabia. We got off. And the first thing we did is we went to this, this military camp where it's like a welcoming camp. And we get there and we, automatically start painting our vehicles tan you know it's like it's like flurry of energy yeah, because all your stuff yeah. is like forest camo yep. you're gonna paint it desert camo yep. so we get off the plane we we take this you know tram to where we're going and it's instant work because the vehicles are already sitting there so we're working and uh when we're working we're busting our ass and it's like 24 7 and and we start learning that in this camp there's i think about i think there was about thirty thousand americans you know it was the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment, and there was us. We were supporting the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment. Our, our artillery battalion was 210th Field Artillery Brigade. So we were sitting there. The brigade is kind of misleading because it was really just us, the battalion. But what they did is when we were when we went over there, they had the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment, which only had a how battery. Which was had a, a what? A how battery. Howitzer battery. Okay. So this is one battery of eight howitzers for the whole cavalry regiment okay so what they did is in in the stuff that we did in germany the the training we did in germany the reforgers which is return of forces to germany uh they uh took the second armor cavalry regiment and we always supported them so when we went to iraq they asked for us to support them so we were they they took a battalion which is which is three times what they had so they had eight howitzers and battalion is three batteries of eight howitzers so that's 24 so that's a lot of tanks. Yeah, yeah, it's 24 artillery pieces versus the eight that they had. So now you had you had uh uh 32 of them. Okay. So each each squadron got a, their own howitzer battery. So they split us up between the the squadrons. So that's why we ended up going there to support them. Okay. So we're they're there, we're there and they basically tell us at the time, you know, uh hey, here's the scary part and we're like what are you talking about? And they said there's more Americans in this base than Saudi Arabia has in their whole military. <laughs> we're looking and going, ooh, this is kind of small. So we were like, oh, shit, you know, if Saddam comes over, there ain't much of us, you know. And, of course, there was the 18th Airborne Corps up there already on the on the border, but we were the first really heavy tanks coming. Yeah. Uh, so we get there. The other thing is the uh, 2nd Army Cavalry Regiment actually upgraded from they're Abrams A1s to A1HAs, which were heavy armor. Okay. So they got the, the the newest tanks. We just got the same old crap. You know, we had to, they, whatever we had. They still have it. It still works. Yeah. Use it. That's- yeah. Well, we, we find out how how behind the curve we are when we go out there later <laughs> on in, in speed and everything to do with, you know, old technology. So we're there. We, we, do, we do all of our painting. We get this and uh, they have a PX. Well, it's about an 
hour and a half. Have a what? PX. It's a it's it's uh like a grocery store. Okay. So it's so they have a PX. So we all wait an hour in line to go in this PX. We get in there, and it, it's like old Mother Hubbard's covered, man. It's like the uh, you know uh, oh what are they Vienna sausages and Gatorade powder and it's like five items and we're like we waited an hour to get this for nothing so, but we you know we we stock up on all of it because who knows when you're gonna see another store so we <laughs> and they're, then they're like oh there's a limit of five of those and three of those so we ended up getting out of there about 20 bucks going oh, wow that was a waste of an hour but what else did you have to do <laughs> paint paint humvees <laughs> yeah i mean we already did that so uh after that we we had a very interesting first trip uh we loaded up all of our howitzers on low boys which is a is a trailer with a semi so okay. we loaded them all on there and we get on this bus and i get right behind the bus driver which is some arabic guy and we start driving and the arabic guy basically turns on his radio and there's this girl i guess you can say singing to us it sounded like somebody was being tortured for an hour I mean, just, whoa, 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 whoa. we're like, what the hell? And it's just, just like screaming. We're driving and we're like, nobody could sleep. You know, me, we couldn't sleep because we're behind this guy and he's listening to this radio. And he was just like this crazy ass driver. I mean, it was all, all acceleration, all brake, you know, and he kept like accordion with the, with the vehicle in front of us. It was just like, this, <laughs> it was like, oh my God. So we're, you know, we're driving in, you know, all night and about 4.45, all of a sudden, the convoy just goes on the side of the road. All of the whole convoy goes on the side of the road. And he gets out of the vehicle with his little mat. And he gets out there and he throws it down and, like, starts to go to sleep. And we're like, you know, the officers are all there. What the hell's going on? I don't know. And they're, they're you know, trying to find out. And they're like, oh, it's nap time. And they're like, hell no, get back in the vehicle. And, uh, you know, they had to basically drag him back in the vehicle and make them all drive again. So, you know, it was just the weirdest thing. You're just driving along. Also, all the vehicles go off. He gets out with his little mat and puts it out behind the vehicle. And, like, they all lay down. I was like, what the hell? So, you know, they get him going again. You're driving. And all of a sudden, it gets about, you know, in the morning. And, we're you know, we're, we have no clue about, you know, Arabic culture at this time. And all of a sudden, all of them off the road again. We're like, what the heck now? And, you know, it's the morning prayer. So they're all out there doing their morning prayers. And we're like. Oh my God! You know, we're in a you know in a combat zone. We don't know when our you know the Iraqis are going to attack. And well, hopefully they're all praying. Right? Yeah. Hopefully they're doing the same thing. So we had to take these detours. We finally get out there, and they take us out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's like you know a day drive in the middle of nowhere, and they drop us off. Here you go, boom. And then we're we just sit out there, and you know, playing army. You know, getting ready, and you know, and then. It was the desert was a whole new uh, place for us because none of us had ever been there. You know, it's like we get there and it's it's not really hot, it's not really cold. So we get there and you know, brass thinks, oh yeah, we're gonna go out and do these trainings. So we're out there and and one of the things that we find out really quick is like in Germany, you know, you have maps and they have places where you can go. Well, this is like a map of it's like take your wall. And put a map across, and it's like one road, and the rest of the map looks the same. Okay. So it's like there's no distinguishable land features. Yeah. 
So we're sitting in... Like, hey, go up to that second sand pile, turn left, go down to the fourth sand pile, right. turn right. And you got to remember, every time there's a sandstorm, them sand piles change. <laughs> so nothing... So we're looking at this going, oh, crap. So we start training, you know, the old Lawrence of Libya way, you know, uh, where we're out there driving. Okay, we're going to get in the tank and we're going to go 30 minutes at bearing X xyz and then when we go 30 minutes we're going to turn to bearing xky and we're going to go at 20 minutes well we tried that for a whole month and we were like totally lost (laughs) i mean we never got to where we were going i mean it was it was it was crazy and then you know all of a sudden they brought this humvee with this thing at the time was called gps we're like what is that and like global positioning system it tells you right where you are like okay we're like this is cool so they give you this number, six-digit number, with another six-digit number, and you plot it on the on the map that looks like everything else. And you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm at this point in your wall, you know, <laughs> and I need to move it at this point in your wall. And it's like, it was it was crazy, but you know, we were able to. That's what's able, what made it possible for us to do that end loop on the Iraqis in 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 the war. Okay, is because the GPS kept us from getting lost. Because if we had, because you know, Saddam was banking. And he was rightfully banking on the fact that if we went out there doing 60 minutes at this direction and 40 minutes at that direction, we would have never, they would have never saw us again. Yeah. But the GPS, we at least knew where we were to, to, you know, when we're like, okay, where we are, that tells us a button. And then at least we knew where we were on that wall. So that's how we were able to end round them and hit them really hard. Okay. Even though it wasn't like Siri today where you got a little map that goes along with you turn right (laughs) here. This was back in the day where you, you know, you had a map. So we, it was like generally where you were. Fair enough. So it was it was interesting, you know, the the technology back then. You don't realize how far back we were compared to what we take for granted today. I mean, if if we, I forget who said it. I hear it from a friend of mine at work all the time, and he's always telling me that the processing speed what doubles every six months or something like that. So oh yeah. So everything becomes obsolete after about six months. And like to think of that now, like back then. I mean, just having the GPS allowed you guys to just do your job in general. Right. Let alone, like, what it's like today. Right. And then what it's going to be like in, you know, six months, two years from now. I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, it's it's definitely. I mean, we didn't even have personal computers back then. Well, I mean, most of us didn't have any kind of computers for quite a while. <laughs> Let's be frank. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it was not nothing like today. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you got to understand, I mean, tactical flashlights today, we're talking, you know, seven, eight hundred lumens. We thought we were badass when we had mini mag lights. <laughs> Just because they were small, you could carry them around. Right. And they were reasonably bright. I mean, that was back in the day of the, the halogen light bulb was the newest thing. Yeah. So, yeah, we mounted them on everything. I mean, we had five or six of them. And then you dropped them, the bulb went out, and you're like, oh, shit, now what do I do? <laughs> so was that most of your job out in... Uh... Saudi Arabia, just driving around and just getting lost in the desert. Yeah, before the war, and then, uh, and then we were out there training, and then Kopchi happened. Okay, and that's the the attack on the little town on the border. And uh, so we're just sitting out there, and uh, so all so all this driving around beforehand was all just training, training getting ready, right? Used to the um, topography of the land and right. how things worked, and right. Okay. And then one of the things that we learned really quickly and uh, uh, that, you know, here's, here was one of the problems with our, our equipment. So when you're in Germany, you know, it's, it's, you're, you were supposedly on this, you know, two hour war and there was always the 
you know, the threat of the big Soviet invasion. And you're always there. Well, you know, it was kind of funny because, like, all the magazines that you get were, like, hand-me-down from three generations, you know. So we had M16A1s and Colt 45s. And I, I tell you what, them Colt 45s were probably used to shoot Nazis in World War II. Most likely. They were old, you know. We had to do upgrades on them. And, you know, the most of the armors were incompetent and didn't know what to do. And, you know, you get this captain saying, well, I got I to gotta aim almost... Three feet to the left and six feet high to hit the hit the uh, the target. You're like, what the heck? And then you find out the bushing in the gun. You know, it's been probably what was it, 45 when it ended, and World War II ended, and it's uh, 1999. Yeah, it was 1990 at the time. <laughs> and you know, you're like, oh well, that's the reason the bushing is worn. You know, and you get a new barrel and put a new bushing in, it and the thing which you know. Uh, uh, new spring and the thing would hit dead center. Oh, thank you. So we did a lot of work on stuff like that. But the magazines been hand hand me down probably since Vietnam. You know, some of the old ones for your M16. Yeah. So we when we went to Iraq before we went to Iraq, we went out and qualified with all your magazines. You know, and we found out that you know a lot of you, you see it a lot in the in the war after. Uh, most of the magazines were shit. They were junk. They were, you know, bent up. They wouldn't feed. So we ended up having to replace most of our magazines. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it's like the lessons learned. Those who went out and actually used their gear before you went out, oh. you found that magazines it's were amazing all, how yeah. that would work. Huh? Let me try this before I go to a fucking war right. and get shot at. Right. Huh. So, you know, I ended up using a lot of old 20-round magazines because I knew they worked. Okay. So it was kind of funny. And then they also fit in the, the, the MBC, the nuclear biological chemical suits. They had these little pockets where they'd fit perfectly in it. And being in a vehicle, LBE, you know, your 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 load bearing equipment gets stuck on things. So I ended up loading almost all my pockets. You know, I had a pocket on the on, on my breast two on my breast, one on my, two one on each arm. So so instead of having like a big rig right. that's gonna get caught on things with stitching and hanging out from you, right. put it in pockets on your shirt. Yeah, so I took all them twenties and just like had magazines all through me and then i had the lbe sitting on top with 30 round mags that way if i actually had to jump off the vehicle you could grab that and go yeah grab my gun and grab my lbe and go but if i had to jump off because something happened i just jump off with my rifle then i had magazines to go okay so it was it was interesting and then the other part of it is the 20 round magazines we never had one fail okay so i'd rather have 30 good rounds i mean 20 good rounds than 30 questionable rounds yeah well that makes sense so a lot of i mean i used 20 round magazines mostly over there with 30 rounds as backups so it was an interesting uh, tidbit of information that you know you know <laughs> going from peacetime to wartime is like growing pains <laughs> so uh so we did that uh what else did we do so, so what was that the battle of the border there what, what happened there what's that you said oh yeah kapchi yeah, so Kapchi ended up being one of these things that we never saw the enemy, and we spent uh, spent a considerable time out in the field. Well, the other thing about Kapchi was they didn't, like, it just happened, and they called us and told us to go. So we go off the border, and we're out there waiting for our, the Iraqi attack that never happened. Well, the reason it didn't happen was the Americans saw the tanks driving towards Kapchi, and they, they basically eliminated them with air power. Okay. So as the vehicles are moving... Uh, you know, the air power just tore up, you know, divisions of them. I mean, they just uh, massacred them. So really only a little, one little unit actually made it to Kopchi unscathed. So then they had the battle there. 
So we, we thought there was going to be a bigger bigger battle, but their power took them away. the air support kind of took people out. Right. So we ended up being out a day. So we get back to the uh, we get back to the uh, our our little base where we were, where our tents were. We get there and it looked like a band of locusts went through and just took everything. So while we were out, the the the, the ramp unit, which is rear echelon motherfuckers, came up and stole everything they could take. Okay. Which was kind of funny because one of my friends decided, you know, he's going to bring nudie pictures of his girlfriend, which he hides down and he had a little cassette case and he hid his little pictures in there. And he would show us the PG ones, you know, to, to, to mock us. He would kind of cover up the more risque parts yeah, of that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was like the PG ones where she had clothes on and just a little cleavage, right? Well, he brought more than that. <laughs> so they still, he had his, because he was on guard duty, his little cassette box was sitting in there and uh they came and they they took it so he lost all of his risque pictures <laughs> which is kind of funny because you know after the war gets over we're 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 back into the the rear we're getting ready to go home and we go into the bathroom and there's a picture of his wife and all of her glory posted on the little the little on the little pegboard inside of there and <laughs> so he's pretty much spent the remainder of of his of the time we were over there going to the bathrooms and collecting all of his pictures and we had great great fun saying oh here's that's an interesting one and you know how much would you give for this and you know because we would find him and, and make his life miserable so i don't think i don't know if he ever told his wife that <laughs> that those pictures got loose or whatever. I don't know. But it was one of the more entertaining parts of that, that war. Whoopsies. <laughs> so is is that pretty common for the assholes like in the other battalions or companies or what have you to come in and steal all your shit? I mean, I are they are they stealing gear? Are they stealing personal things? What's what's going on? Everything that wasn't nailed down. And why they, the hell they would took... they come in and steal all your shit? Uh, we don't know. I, we have no idea. And, and I was... You know, and nobody seemed, everybody was more worried about getting this war on than trying to figure out why these people stole our Well, I understand stuff. that. That's a lot more important, but it just seems like an asshole It's thing a dick to move. Do. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Well, Guys that are going to be fighting to possibly help save your life, you're going to steal their shit. Well, there was a couple altercations, you know, in the in the rear after it was, because, <laughs> you know, here here's this, this uh, you know, a, a commo unit. With you know Nomex jackets, and it's like, where'd you get that? Oh, we were issued it. Bullshit. And then we find out who it was, and find out it was the unit that was supposed to be supporting us. And they were like, no, you need to give us that jacket. So we started finding them and getting gear back. Okay. So it was you know, but it wasn't a whole lot. I mean, they took everything. I mean, it was you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't nailed down, they took it. Night vision. I mean, whatever they whatever was in that Connex, they took. They went through the tents and took, you know tapes your walkman you know whatever they could take it was it was a total dick move just a little bit yeah i mean we were i mean if we could have found them at that i mean there was the 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 commander had to tell us to stand down because we were about to go you know even the ncos wanted to go get some their ounce of meat out of that one you know they were having (laughs) revenge and they're like no no we got more things to do so it was definitely a one of the dick moves. They <sighs> well, if that was one of you guys listening, fuck you. That's an asshole move. Yeah, exactly. Apologize. Stop being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus. So, so a little bit after that, they came. So the 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 ground war. I mean, the the air war kicks off, and I that was January around January fifteenth. So they kick off, 
in prior to the ground war, we had this, this uh, lady called Baghdad Betty that would just sit there and talk to us and tell us how we came all this way to die in the, in the sands of Iraq and how we were going to get our ass kicked. So we were all happy when they dropped a, a bomb on her and she went away. <laughs> so we're, we're just sitting there, you know, their wars kicked on. We know it now it's war shields gone. The, I mean, shields gone the storm. And, uh, so we get tasked with what was known as an artillery raid. So we're like, okay, what's this? And I said, we're going to take one howitzer, and we're going to take one of these, uh, these copperhead missiles. And as an aside, a copperhead missile is a missile kind of like a, a little tomahawk. Instead of being launched by its own propellant system, what it is is it's launched out of the howitzer, and it's shot up, and it's got little fins that deploy, and it's got a little laser seeker head. And what happens is you've got a... Uh, you have a uh, a person on the ground with a with a laser designator on where it wants to hit. So okay, it, so it, probably like a sniper who's like worked his way into a position, and, right. and is is painting the target right. with the laser. Yep, yep, that's exactly what it was. So he'd paint it on. So we would. So our our and, and the reason they were doing this is at the time uh, there was so much going on, and there was areas where it was still not safe to fly. This is infancy, infancy of stealth. Bombers. Remember, we had the, the wobbling goblin that made its debut, which was a really small bomber at the time. So this is going on right as the air war starts. So they designate us to drive into Iraq in the middle of the night to a certain location, set up, take these three copperhead missiles and fire them a certain direction. So that way the person on the ground can paint it and destroy radar towers or okay. whatever of high importance So it's going it to go up, it's going to catch what, right. whatever's being transmitted, it's going to find right. that and then locate itself to that position yep it's going to take out strategic targets yep but for us it was one howitzer and one humvee with three three of these missiles in it and it was like a pucker factor of driving in the middle of iraq with uh, into a war zone yeah into a war zone with about nine people (laughs) with no backup you know and what could happen we could drive over a mine you can know you know but we to our credit we never lost anybody doing it we did them we did them for about a month okay and then, you know, after they got uh, they got the uh, air superiority, we got, you know, we weren't tasked to do it anymore. You were kind of green-lighted to kind of go where you needed to go. Right. Actually, it wasn't, didn't have the big things to take out. Yeah, it really wasn't. It was probably about uh, about a week we did it. It felt like a month over there. It was okay. like it just drug on. So you had mentioned before that you got into like a crazy skirmish with a big line of tanks. Oh th- yeah, that was that's later in the war. So, what you know with uh, it's it's interesting. This you know when you look at war and in we're always fighting our last war, and it was the same with Iraq. You know, I mean, being artillery, we were always told if you see the enemy, you're dead. You know, well the the problem of it was is is generations of tanks and up upgrades and everything else really made what we were what we thought the war was going to be like pretty obsolete. So our first clue was in reforger, which is return of forces to Germany. Uh, 1988 was the real last hurrah of reforger. And it was, it was kind of, it should have told us our, our, our tactics and our, our, our way we did business was obsolete. So uh, prior to that, you know, the main battle tank in Germany was the M60 slow. It chattered. You could hear it coming from a mile away. It can only go, you know, so fast, so long, broke down all the time. Well, 
it was the introduction of the Abrams to Reforger. Well, this tanked us 45 miles an hour for whatever time it can, you know, it could go forever. Yeah. So in the Humvees, so it made Germany pretty much obsolete because the doggone thing could get from one end of Germany to the other end of Germany within two days. So that they couldn't keep up with the with the with the lines because they were so fast. Okay. Because these tanks would go across Germany in two days, and before you're lucky to get, you know, fifty miles out of an M60 before you know something broke down or you know they were totally slow. So it should have been our our cue that you know times are changing. And we need to change some things with our approach here. Right. So you know it, it kind of got highlighted in Iraq because we. We went over a day before everybody to to support the big launching of the of the mechanized division. So we snuck across the night before, and counterfired and and got a foothold inside of Iraq. Okay. And you know, at this time, the you know Baghdad Betty was telling us about this wall that was impenetrable, and and you know, and how we we will never get past this wall. And it was like when we hit it, it was like a it was like a speed bump. It's like shit. That was it. <laughs> that's not impressive. That's like a sand doom. You know, we just drove right over. You know, nothing happened. And then we sat over there and we started firing to get the other divisions over. So we were basically the scouts for First uh, Infantry Division. Okay, so you guys the, are the front yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah. We're there's no the only person in front of us is the engineers. Okay. And so we, there, there's, there's, we're, we're, we're the spearhead of the. Of the third armored division, first armored division, the first infantry division. So we got three divisions behind us, and our job is basically go as fast as we can to pin the Republican guards so they can't leave Kuwait. You get up there on that highway out of there. Okay. So here's the problem. What? Because we're moving so fast, we punch through the first the first enemy unit, and they're kind of like in, they're kind of set. Here's wave one. This is you know line one, and behind it another three kilometers unit two they're like in they're like in rows all the way back you know because they they think this attack's going to happen but where we where we hit way out on the on the on the flank they're they're not as deep as you know the, the closer you get into where kuwait is the deeper it gets so we hit that first line of of iraqis and we we we, we hit them with our arty the cav unit punches through them and then the cav units mixed of uh of uh Bradley's and Abrams. Okay. And this, and we're talking the newer HA. Uh, the heavy armored. Yeah, heavy armored, yeah. which had the depleted uranium uh, armor in it. So, and this is, you know, this is the same unit as Mr. McAllister, I think it is, the the big Trump uh, guy that they, he appointed, now it's gone. He was a captain in that unit. Okay. So this is, so this, this is the guy who's running the unit I'm behind. <laughs> so uh, we punched through. Well, the problem of it is, is what they don't, what you don't realize is they're punching through the first unit where we set up after they punch that first unit is that unit that they just punch through as they go into the next unit. So we're sitting there, we set up, we start firing our, you know, eight, eight howitzers. It's loud. It shakes the ground and it's like little prairie dogs. All of a sudden they pop up all over the place. You know, some want to give up, some want to shoot it out. It's, you know, it's, it's like mayhem. So we're like, holy shit. So as we go farther into this, we start getting more and more prairie dogs because the first unit's, you know, <laughs> pretty decimated and we're trying to get through them. So we're, we're having to do fire missions and go pick up, you know, prisoners. And then what do you do with, when you have 50 prisoners, line them all up and you're like, okay, call the MPs. Here's where they are. And then you move on to the next group. You know, it was, it was, it was chaos. It was like, 
so we, as we're punching through, we, there's some times where we're up higher than the cab unit and we actually watch them. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's like watching saving private Ryan, Ryan in reverse, you know, they're sitting there and they're in the dark and we're, you know, up on this hill and the, and, and we do, we prep them with our Artie. And, uh, I didn't tell you this earlier. We, it was known as shake and bake. So we have eight howitzers. So we fire these, these cluster munitions and then we have two with Willie P and we got two with a air burst H E. So the cluster munitions all fall down on them. Then the, the air bursts all fall down, you know, with the, with the, uh, H E and then the no, Willie no, P falls down on top of them. Now explain some of this, like what, what it all, all means. Right. So cluster munitions are little balls that are like little grenades that fall out of the sky. Okay. So it's like, it's just like, it's, if you're not blowing shrapnel. Yeah. If you're not in vehicles, if you're in light vehicles, you're done. All right. And then we throw Willie P, which basically is a, is a, is a, is like raining, raining down fire that doesn't go out on you. Okay. So whatever is flammable catches on fire. And then we, those HE rounds blow up on top of you and sh- throw more shrapnel down. Okay. So those are, I always assume high explosive yeah. HE yep. rounds. Yep. And some of them are, we, we, depending on what, what was there, if they had like bunkers, we would actually have them delayed. So they'd go in the ground and go off. Okay. So we had different missions we did, but the normal one was shake and bake because then you you shook them all up with the he and then you bake then you in the, in you, the you cluster munition then you bake them at the end yeah and, and then you smoke them with the high explosives right and blowing down shrapnel right so that <laughs> so we shake and baked them and we actually got to watch it and you know so the cab would go down and probe hit them hit them hit them and back off and then we'd shake and bake them a couple of times you see where they were yeah you'd actually watch the battle go on and shooting the rounds down where they were. And we watched the whole thing. It was like we sat there in awe of, holy shit. I mean, they just, you know, about three three attacks, probes, three back, three shaken bakes, and then they just went down all hell loose. And you watched, you know, the Bradleys, and then all of a sudden Abrams, boom, and then you'd see, you know, pieces of, of this tank go, I mean, you know, the Turk go shooting off in the sky. We're like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, PLD, PLW pickup team, you know, blah, 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 blah. you know, you're out there chasing, you know, Haji down. So this is what we go through the first, you know, first couple, you know, iterations of these, you know, busting through the front lines. Okay. So, you know, and then we, you know, as we move farther, the gaps get bigger. So we go to get to the next unit. So right before we, we break out, we're at probably at the last line and we see Haji up on the hill, you know, over there and he takes a couple pot shots at us and we're, you know, give up, come on over here and they're, they're out of our out of our M16 range. So finally, Lieutenant gets a little pissed off and says, okay, fire mission. So they, we, we give them some HE and boy, they come running over the, you know, over the thing. We give up, we give up, we give up. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what was left of them? I mean, it, after seeing what, what some of them look like, it was pretty, I would not want to be on the, on the receiving end of a 155, <laughs> but, you know, battalion. I mean, it, it, you know, you're talking shoes with feet, hang, you know, bones hanging out of them. I mean, it, the ones it did, it, it wasn't a whole lot of. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting to see that and they'd come running down. So we kept, we moved farther and farther into Iraq and things started getting slow once we punched through all those units. And it was, then it was like the dash to get to, get to the Republican guard. Okay. So, uh, so we're dashing through the, through the snow, which is kind of like, you know, sand. Snow in the desert. Yeah. Sand, which I hate sand. I hate beaches my wife still gets on me because i won't go to beaches i hate sand i had sand in so many crevices i don't i think you still can find it so we get up we get up right before the the uh 
the uh, Iraqi border, and we're 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 just almost sorry the, the sorry I'm not not Iraqi border. We're in Iraq. We're on the Iraqi border right before Kuwait. Okay, we're getting in the northern Kuwait, and uh, we're set up. We we've stopped. We've set up in a, like a triangle formation. So we're like the point that's the rearmost of it, the Bravo battery, the front left part of the triangle is alpha and the in the front right is 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 charlie okay so we're sitting there probably we're talking half a mile distance you know and out in the desert a half a mile looks like 10 feet so we're just sitting there and uh we're waiting you know and we just i mean we've kicked ass and take names up to this time we hadn't taken... yeah you've just been rolling through people are right. surrendering right and if they don't you hit them with some artillery and, and they come and running then they surrender yeah that or the Bradley shoots into the into there and and you know forgets to turn it on coaxial and hits them with twenty five millimeter HE and splatters them and they all come running out. That's what the cab guys did. Okay. So we got this. We got this. So up you, to this point, you're you're yeah. pretty much moving through without real opposition. Right. Where it's like I said, it's like it's like saving Private Ryan, but it's we're the we're getting that benefit of of just total annihilation going through. Yeah. So we, we get up there around where the Republicans' guards are. We're sitting there in a triangle formation. And what we don't realize is this is a sucker play. So we're sitting up there, and we're firing, fire mission, fire mission. And it's like a triangle, boom, 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 and we're firing. And I'm sitting there with binoculars, and I'm watching Alpha Battery, and I'm like, Chief. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, what color is incoming? Isn't that, isn't that uh, uh, orange? He's like, what? I'm like, I'm watch. And he looks and you know, the howitzers when they fire is a white flash and all of a sudden you get these orange flashes coming in. He's like, Holy shit, you're right, they're taking incoming. And we scan over to Charlie Battery and like you know, you see Alpha packing up and running, you know, re- you know, retreat. We hear it on the radio, retreat, retreat, Alpha's coming back. We're like, Oh shit And then we look over at Charlie Battery and they're firing and then you see yellow, fla- orange flashes coming. We're like, oh shit! And then you hear Charlie Batteries, you know, retreat. So we're like, oh shit, this is. So you guys are already in the rear. Yeah, well, yeah we're behind them. Yeah, so so they're kind of probably coming back more to towards your position. Well, they're going past us, man. They're okay. like hauling ass past us. We're like, holy <laughs> shit! And then we're sitting there, and we get our we get we get the fire mission. Boom, 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 boom. So we fire the mission, and it's like, you know, after this mission's done. Get all the gear because after we fire it, we're we're unassing the AO, which you know. So we fire it and we get in, and we we run off. So we off. And we're looking back and rounds start coming in where we were. You know, not they, they were roughly where we were, probably about you know a thousand yards off. You know, short of where our position was. Yeah. So as we're going past these uh, MLRSs, which is multiple rocket launch systems, you know these little these little box looking vehicles with treads on them goes zips past us almost where we were you know in the beginning solvels of desert storm when we sat there and we prepped before we went over these things would go you know elevate and they would fire a missile you know fire three seconds later fire three seconds later fire another missile and it has like i think they had either i i believe they had 12 missiles in it so it took it a couple minutes to fire all these missiles so two of these things roll past the stop as fast as it can go, they elevate the the boxes with the missiles in it, and it's like like in like World War Two, like they just fire off all these all twelve missiles. I mean, like in a minute. I mean, it's like like holy shit, I never seen it. And then the thing goes down, and they go blowing past us. We're like, what the hell? And you got to understand these these missiles hold hold cluster munitions in it. And they're known as grid. You know, when you shoot a twelve of them at a target, in in and it'll 
eliminate a grid square. It'll cover a grid square. So anything that's not in a tank or an armored vehicle in that grid square gets wiped out. So they literally suckered Iraqi artillery in the firing at us. Okay, so you guys were the bait. We were the bait. So we would counter fire, counter fire, and they were they would they would see us on radar, and then it would lob them at us. But their radar, their you know the the other thing about our Iraqi artillery is American artillery is you got a a battalion of one five five, right? We all shoot in the same area. The Iraqis are kind of dyslexic in the thing where they'll have a they'll have a one five two a one five five. A one, two, two. They didn't have these battalions like we did. Well, they so, probably just had whatever they get their hands on. Right. So, you know, you had a, a self-propelled one there. You had a, a towed one here. And they're, 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 they weren't as refined as us as, as hitting us. So, you know, they had this, you know, like we would put all of our, all of our, uh, our rounds in a, in a, a little area. They would be like a shotgun approach. They'll spread it all out. Yeah, they'd spread it all out. So hoping that they just hit something. Right. So that's what we did. We suckered these 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 units into firing. Now, at did us. you know this going into it? <laughs> no, but it became real clear after the MRSs <laughs> MLSs took out these grid squares that what they were doing. Now, now how big is that grid square? Uh, it's a kilometer by a kilometer. Jesus. Yeah, this is like you know this is like heavy shit coming yeah. out on you. I mean, if you're in a tank, you're in the and it's it's hatched up, you're fine. But if you're not in a tank and you're sitting out there in a in a foxhole. I'd hate to be that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we countered fire that. So so that happens and uh we're like, okay. So at this point the the battle of the 73rd Easting happens where we get into a we're, again we're 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 supporting the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment and we get in that big tank battle with the Republican Guard where we 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 hit them and we don't know we're hitting them and you know, you can read about it all on you know, on wikipedia and all that stuff so we hit that and we came to a stop and uh we had what's known as crossing of the lines because you know we're in a we're a you know second armor cover regiment is small we're hitting a division now we pushed about 40 some kilometers into the farther than we should have so we now backed off and we have what is known as the uh uh shifting of our of our of the unit, the, the frontline spear unit. So we're sitting there and it's about midnight and the first infantry division comes through the big, bat, big red one. They come through our lines and we, at, this is how we get an idea of how big a division is. It was literally Abrams tanks for 30 minutes going past us, past us, shit. past us. We're like, holy shit. And remember this is at this point the we're, we're, we're now, shifting from support of the second armored cover regiment over to the first infantry division where now we're now we're supporting them so while the first infantry division's going through our lines now we're lining up to to the south of it the uh the first infantry i'm sorry the first armored right uh, so ah i get these all mixed up my (laughs) so we got the first infantry division then we got the first armored division and to the north of us we had the the uh third armored division so we had three divisions lined up with 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 pickup which was the first armored unit of the british their first armored division of the british was kind of like behind us all so we lined up three full divisions uh, i mean basically you know east to west and just went forward and just i mean it was a massacre (laughs) so we went from a regiment to three divisions which is like you know, I don't know how big that is, but it's, I would say watching those tanks come by that unit was at least four to 10 times bigger than our unit. Oh, shit. And we lined up three of them and we just, we, it was annihilation all the way into, 
Kuwait. Okay. So, uh, so we get behind the first infantry division and now it's a race and we, you know, we think, oh, we got a big division in front of us. So we're, we're, you know, supporting them and we're, 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 we're driving on. But remember, this is, they're trying to chase the, the, the cream of the crop out of catch them before they leave Iraq. So they're leaving the little change behind, you know, like these little units, you know, they're chasing the, you know, the divisions. So we're, we're going along and <laughs> we come up over this like little hill and there's two, two Soviet tanks and two Soviet uh, armored personnel carriers, which are known as BMPs. They got like a gun on top of them. They're like a, they're like a, a, a crude Bradley, you know? So we come up in there, there's these Iraqis out there standing there, you know, like froze looking at us and we're looking at them and they're like loading shit onto this tank. And then, you know, they all run, they run behind the tank and they get in the tank, they shut all the stuff. And so our commander goes, okay, so we got, you know, eight howitzers and the Iraqis don't know what a howitzer is. It looks like a tank. So they're like, oh shit, there's eight of them and there's two of us and we're not really, you know, so they play, you know, I'm the turtle, I'm going to, you know, shell up. So the lieutenant looks at him and goes, oh, I got something for your ass. So he, we going to direct the fire eight of these howitzers at these two tanks, right? <laughs> it's like, oh boy, it's on like Donkey Kong. So we're getting them down. We're starting to, you know, load up. And the the <laughs> our battalion commander comes up. And goes, no, no, no. You can't fire at them. We're like, why not? They're right there. I mean, they're, they're a thousand meters right there. Four kilometers over there is another unit. We're like, dude, that's like, 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 that's impossible. You know, I mean, really, you think we're going to miss that bad? You know, it's like shooting a house across the street. You know, how are we going to miss that bad to go four kilometers? So we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're still going on. He comes over. That's an order. No firing. We're like, well, what do you want to do, sir? And he goes, shoot the 50 at it. I'm like, Maul Deuce? He's like, yeah. And we're like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's like shooting a BB gun at a, at a, at a, at a brick wall. So, of course, <laughs> they uh, decide that, you know, that's, you know, because he's the commander. So they got on a Maul Deuce and they start shooting at the tank and the bullets are going four kilometers down yeah, the way. Yeah, off the yeah they're going everywhere and we're, like, we're just watching going, boy, this is a freaking waste of time. So we're just watching this going, <clears throat> dude, this is stupid. You know, we're just watching them going, oh man, this is chicken shit bullshit. So we watch this, you know, and so as they're shooting it, they shoot their, the, the, the Iraqis decide, you know, I've had enough of this and they, they blow off the smoke so you can't see the tank anymore. So the commander's like, oh, uh, okay, it's done. Let's go. We're like, Okay, so you know we get in the vehicles and we start moving. And the eight howitzers go by it, and the Iraqis look at that and go, "Hmm, hmm, this is interesting." The tanks are now leaving, and what in 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 any wagon train, you know, there's the there's the armored ones in front, and so you've got eight howitzers and you got eight ammo carriers, M nine was it M nine nine twos, fast V's, which is I mean they're they're like. They're like rolling armored powder kegs because they've got 80 how I'm sorry, they got 90 howitzer rounds in there and they got 90 powder charges in there for the howitzer and three copperhead missiles in their charges, their powder yeah. charges to send them down. So as the as howitzers go by, they're like, oh wow, this is this is uh look at look at this. We now got armored person, you know, we got the armored ve vehicles that carry the ammo, and look, look, we got Deuce and a halfs and five tons and Humvees behind it. Oh, all these soft targets as to them, we're running away. So, uh, as we're, as, as we're driving on, I'm, I'm watching these 
you know, so we got the tank kind of in front of us and another tank over there. We're not sure if it's alive or dead. And we look behind us. There's two armored personnel carriers with these guns on them. I'm watching them. So I'm kind of, my, my back's kind of towards, is, is towards the front of the vehicle. Cause I'm looking off the back side of it and I'm sitting there and the vehicle starts moving and I hear my, my driver go, Oh shit. And he, I hear him pull the latch on the seat that goes, lets him go down inside the, inside the armored vehicle. I'm like, what the hell is he oh shit about? So I roll the 50 around front and I look over on the, uh, on the, uh, top of the, the, the tank, he's firing his, the, the gun on the top at the, at the armored vehicle in front of us. And they're all like getting down inside the vehicle. So I rolled the 50 over and I'm like, and it goes off. I'm like, what the fuck? So I'm, I'm not seeing the guy on the top. I don't know if at the time, we don't know if we hit him or he just jumped off. You know, I pepper- he's on like top of a berm. No, he's on top of the tank on their gun. Oh, okay. So I roll over and I see him. I mean, we're like, we're like from like from your house to about that telephone pole out there. You got to give distance here. That's eh, probably what, about 200 yards, 150 yards. But you know, you it's pretty close in the desert. Right. And so I rank round. You can see this tracers go right over the top of the tank and he goes off. So I'm thinking, okay, if I didn't hit him, he's gone. But I have a bigger problem. Maladeuce is down. So I'm up there, you know, and 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 when he goes down in the tank, he stomps the gas, right? And I'm up there messing with the, you know, trying to clear the gun, trying to clear the gun. And so I get it cleared. I start it, get another round in. I test fired it, jams again. I'm like, what the fuck? So I look down and I'm noticing that the, the rounds aren't coming out of the links, right? And so you think, you know, the, the thing that we learned the hard way was, you know, hey, you've cleaned the gun, you've cleaned your guns every day, you clean all this stuff. But the problem of it was the the extreme hot in the day, extreme cold at night, caused those links to fuse to the bullets. The 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 steel links fused to the brass yeah. and they corroded in. Which which they're meant to snap apart as the rounds are being fed into the machine gun. Right. Well, no, it was total snafu. You know, situation <laughs> normal, all fucked up. So I had to throw the thing off. As I throw the the rounds off, I open a new fit. I look and now I see two more Soviet tanks with people running to them and I'm like, Iraqi tanks which are Soviet made. And I see Iraqis running over to him. I'm like, Oh, this is getting kind of, you know, Oh shit. And this is getting kind of uh, terminal here. So I get the 50 look, you know, reload it, fire off some rounds. It's working. And now I'm, uh, now I'm starting to look around and we're moving as fast as this vehicle can go. And we're over, you know, I'm bouncing around up there. Shit's everywhere. And you know, the other thing, you know, after the gun, f- the gun failed, I'm sitting here looking at this tank and, the guy's not there. First I shoot and I'm like, oh shit, it's jam. I'm like, oh, I'll get my M16. I'm like, the dude's not there. What am I going to do with the M16? Shoot it. I mean, the 50 cal won't do shit to the, the tank. The M16, that's when I go, okay, I got to get this thing back in, in, in the work. So I get it back in, back in operation and I notice that these berms are starting to get closer and closer. So we got a berm on our left, a berm on our right. And it feels like something's wrong here because these berms get closer and closer and we're going up this hill. And I get on the radio, I mean, on our mic, and I say to the the, uh, the driver, I said, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. He's like, what? I go, stop, slow down. So he slows down as we crest this this hill, as we crest over top of it, you know, the berms are now maybe 20 feet on either side of our vehicle. So you're, you're real stuck in there. Yeah, I mean, it's like almost to the point where... You know, it would be hard to turn everything around and get it back It'd be out. like a 4,000-point turn to turn around. Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad now. But as we 
crest this hill, they start getting really like into a point. And down under the hill, looking down the hill, all these vehicles are like zigzag, like a zipper in there. They're like left, right, left, right, all the way, like almost hitting each other. And we're like, holy shit. So we ease over the hill. We go, you know, we stay up on the hill. I tell everybody behind us, slow down, you know, like waving my arms, slow down. Everybody slows down. And then after we get everybody stopped, I go over the hill down into it. And uh, I meet up where, with my, you know, our, our, the NCO that's in charge of our, of our batteries called chief. I meet up with him. I go, what's going on? He says, the lead vehicle with the commander just went off into a tank trap, like big hole in the ground. And it's sitting there on its side. <laughs> well, I like, Oh, well that like, you didn't see it. You didn't see this getting down. He goes, he didn't, he just, he didn't care. So we had a vehicle laying on its side. We got berms on either side of us, you know, down there. It's literally, you could barely, you know, you got maybe, you know, 10, 15 feet the way this berm goes into there. And then you got another berm system farther out bigger. And I'm just sitting there and we, we, we take the vehicles and we got one pointing left, one pointing right with fifties on. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this ain't a very good place to be sitting. You know, I mean, I'm on top of a tank, big silhouette, you know? Uh, so I switch out and, uh, I start looking around and you can hear the, the Iraqis on either side. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh shit, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> so I get up, I get up under the, under the vehicle and I dig out, a, you know, like a, like a shallow, you know, trench it under there. And I get in there and I start sitting there with my, with my M16 waiting for one of them to pop their little heads up over the, over it. And I'm sitting there and chief comes over and goes, what are you doing? Where, where are you? And I'm like under here. And he says, what the hell are you doing under there? And I said, dude, if I was them, I'd be mortaring us in about a few minutes. He's like, shit. I didn't think of that. And he's like, oh shit. And I said, and if they attack, you know, we got, you know, let's get, let's get dug in. So people get dug in everywhere. And, and sure enough, you know, we get this Iraqis to the front and he looks at me and goes, you're going to go get, you know, you're the POW team. You're going to get this. I said, no. And he goes, why not? And, and at this point, all mayhem breaks open. Somebody starts shooting and everybody in the battalion just starts shooting. It's like, it's like 4th of July, 10,000 rounds go down range. And, and, and we're just, I'm looking at my chief and I'm going, that's why. And he's, he goes, what are they shooting? And I, I, I have no idea, but you know, they're going through magazines and you know the full belt of the 50s it's like fourth of july i mean rounds are going everywhere so finally we get ceasefire 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 and we're like okay what'd we hit and we find out we hit one guy through the mouth you know and the other two got away Ten thousand rounds one guy through the mouth we're like what the <laughs> hell and i said chief that's why i'm not going out so then we you know we're we're having to get this out you know and and i said hey i said uh, i said to the chief i said listen we got two T, you know, T-55s back there. We went through, they're all running to get in there. They get up on the radio and they, and they call in. And like I said before, the first, uh, division for the United Kingdom, their, their units behind us kind of coming behind us. So they dispatch, you know, a, a couple tanks to come over and check on us to provide us security. Cause we're getting these little skirmishes with the, you know, the Iraqis out there. Some of them give up, some of them take a pot shot at you. You know, it's, you can never tell what's going on, you know, and, you know, another 10,000 rounds goes down range, you know, it's back and forth. It's, you know, one, one pop and everybody's, you know, machine guns go everywhere. And you know, it's like, you know, they don't even know if it's you or them. It's, it's, it's just mayhem. So as we're sitting there, uh, we, we notice that there's a, there's a vehicle missing. So we're like one of the armored personnel carriers is missing, you know, with the, with the rounds in it. So we're like, what the hell is that? And all of a sudden we see the two guys that were in it all of a sudden come up and go, where's your, where's your vehicle? And he is, they said, it was hit. And we're like, what do you mean it was hit? And he says, one of the BMPs hit us. And we're like, 
seriously? He goes, yeah. All of a sudden I heard bang and I, and there was a fire inside the vehicle. And I said, okay, what'd you do? And he says, well, I stopped and I pulled the, the Halon fire extinguisher and the fire went out. And I said, okay, then what'd you do? And he says, the minute it went out, I stomped on the gas. And I said, and let me guess, the fire started again. It was, yeah, how'd you know? And I said, because it's got these big fans on it. The minute you stomp the gas, those fans, you know, the, 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 the these big, huge fans that cooled the engine sucked all that halon right out and the fire went up and the whole thing you know so we're now missing this vehicle and we and now we're looking out there and you could see the where it was this this big flame going up out of the out of the out of the out of the uh out of the vehicle so then we finally get the tank out we start going by and the thing goes finally cooks off and it looks like you know it looks like fourth of july i mean it's things are everywhere you know, like, oh shit, this is this is getting serious now. Like, <laughs> we, we finally lost a vehicle, but we we got lucky; nobody got killed. Shit. Yeah, so we're like, you know, like we're whew. so we we go back, we get out of that, and then you know, it's a couple more skir- little skirmishes here and there, and and the next thing you know, you know, we're 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 parked in these oil fields on fire. We're just sitting there, and we're we're sitting and. And I remember because we've been going, you know, several days, uh, you know, and there's other little skirmishes in here. Like we, you know, we could talk about it on another day. <laughs> I mean, it, there's little, there's little shit that goes on during this whole time. But, you know, the, the other thing of it is, is after, after that battle, it starts, you start being awake. You, you're awake 24, you're awake 48 hours and you're getting maybe an hour sleep. In, you know, it's not really sleep because you're in the middle of, of a war, people are shooting, so you get maybe 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there of sleep. And you're really never sleeping because you can re- you could actually remember what people are saying around you. Yeah. So when we were, after that battle, we were at about the, we were plus 48 hours into this war. And it started getting weird because, you know, you would be sitting on top of the, off the tank and you'd be following the tank in front of you. And all of a sudden you're starting to, the wander off the path while the other tanks are going straight. You're starting to go left. You're like, what the hell? And you're on your, you're on your intercom say, Hey, Hey, wake up and wake up. And you know, you're still going farther off. And then you had to get up and walk like, you know, like train style across the top of the uh, top of the vehicle and jump down and smack him on the head and say, dude, what the fuck, dude? You were over there and they're all oh, shit. And you had to, you had to be careful because you didn't want them to jam it really hard. And they'd be like, tap, 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 dude, wake up. He's like, over there and like turn the vehicle and go over there (laughs) so it was it got really after that battle it got really weird because we were going on close you know plus 48 hours you know getting on the 72 hours of no sleep so it was getting your brain starts to get really does weird things without sleep yeah so we get in the we get in there and uh uh you know we get into the the kuwait and these oil fields and we're just sitting there and uh we, I parked the vehicle. It's me and the driver, and that was all on our vehicle. And we had to we had to do uh, guard. You know, I was up on the fifty, sitting there, and I'm sitting there going, "Okay." And I'm thinking, I'm going to close my eyes for a minute. And this is it's kind of funny because they said, you know, George Bush is coming on to making a speech and everything like that. And I felt like I closed my eyes and I opened them, and I was like, I was like, okay. And then I I listened into the into the radio, and it goes. That was a great speech. That was a 45-minute speech. I'm like, holy shit. I, I, you know, it was close my eyes for about three seconds and open them was what it felt like. But it was a 45-minute out. And I'll never forget. I was like, holy shit. And, 
you know, so then I, you know, we're sitting on there and, and what it was is I missed the 45 minutes. The war is over. <laughs> so it was, it was, then it was like, I can't, the war is officially over. And so which, you know, like all wars, it really isn't officially over. It's, you know, you get other things you have to do. Yeah. So we get told the war is over. So we set in the oil fields. I got nice pictures of the oil fields of Kuwait all on fire. Okay. So. Some days the wind's blowing out to the out to the sea. It would, be, it would be eastbound, and it was beautiful, you know. And then the oil would blow where we were southbound, and we'd be breaking out the winter gear. It was it was it would go from ninety degrees or seventy degrees to like thirty two degrees because the the oil smoke would literally blot out the sun. Okay. So we sat there probably about a month. No, I take that back. That wasn't a month. Probably it was it was at least. Two or three weeks. It's, it gets it gets old going back that far. <laughs> and it's twenty twenty eight year twenty seven years ago. So we sat there in the oil fields, you know, for a while, and then we got told that they're pulling the eighty second airborne and airborne units out of out of uh, southern uh, Iraq. So we were going to take over for them. Okay. So they pull them out. We have to drive from Kuwait all the way up to. Uh, up to uh, where they with that their their main road, I think they called it one, goes across the Euphrates River. Or there's a little town right there. So, well, as you all know, that that freeway was the highway of death. So we have to drive up the highway of death. Okay. So we're I, so I go to sleep. We're driving and wake up, and we stopped. And I'm like, I I remember wait, opening my eyes, going, "Holy shit! What's that smell?" Oh, we're on the highway of death. I'm like, oh my God, it was just, you know, I open up the door, I, I open up the, the hatch, I look out and there's crushed cars, arms sticking out, things like this. And he goes, you want to ride? I'm like, nah, I'll just stay in here and finish sleeping. I just <laughs> went out, took a leak, shut the door. I mean, it was mayhem. It was just amazing how much was crushed. And they just, you know, bodles it off to the side. So it was like, you know, as far as you could see, it was blown up cars and stuff like that. Yeah. So we drove through that and then we went up where we were and we were sitting and uh, it was kind of interesting because it wasn't until we went into Iraq the second time that people actually believe what we were telling them. So we're up there on this little, on this little town at the Euphrates, on the Euphrates and the Shiites were told if they come across the Euphrates that we would protect them. So they were coming over in mass over while the Iraqi last division of the Republican guards were using it as a choke point to kill them. So, uh, as we're sitting there looking at this little town on the other side, we're seeing stuff hanging off the telephone poles and we're, you know, talking to the CAV guys, you know, we're back, we're now back attached to the second armor cavalry regiment. And we're like, what's that off the uh, telephone poles? Oh, that's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. You're full of shit. No, no, no. It's bodies. So, you know, like I said before, the Iraqi artillery isn't, isn't all one, all one, uh, type. Yeah. So they were, they were artillerying the, uh, the Iraqis as they're trying to come over, well, some were coming over their Freighties and hitting where the CAV units were, and they finally had enough of it. So they called us up to where, on the other side of the thing where the village are, and we loaded up, loaded up, you know, ready to go, and it's counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, ceasefire, you know. We're like, what are you talking about? He says, oh, they got the message, they're all gone. We're like, are you shitting us? And they're like, yep, they're done. You can, you can go, you're done now. We're like, you realize we got a live round in the tube? 
And the guy, oh, is that a problem? It's like, yeah, we got to get a big, long pole and put it down the tube and hit it with a hammer to unlodge it. So we're all like, oh, shit, you know, just waiting. Luckily for us, it was, you know, everything came out fine. And But yet now we're like up on the border and shit, not, shit, you're not. There's dead bodies, you know, hanging off these telephone poles and they're all the Shiites. It's like a, you know, they, they're basically telling them, you come here, we're going to kill you. Yeah. So we started getting into, you know, the the Shiites were run the checkpoints coming over and you know they would we would we would sit up there and you know you know at this time we're we're, we're thinking suicide bombers you know are going to come and you know you tell them to stop and they came towards you would open up and just you know whatever you know 50 cal on a on a on a on a truck or a, a van i mean nobody gets out of that alive so we had a couple of those incidents where cars came over and we we opened up on them and turned out to be shiites not explosive you know not not you know what do they call them uh vehicle born you know improvised bombs v-abs or whatever i don't know what they call them today but it turned out to be you know these people coming over and and you know we we started learning about it so we had a vehicle come over and uh we're sitting up there and the vehicle just stops in front of us and this guy and this lady comes out screaming you know running towards us with their arms up screaming i and i'm I tell my the, the driver to stop. I switch, jump off the 50. Someone jumps on the 50. I jump down. And they're running at us. And I'm, I'm yelling at them in Arabic, get down, get down, get down. And the dude's just like, just keeps running at me, you know. And I'm looking at him. And I'm like, get down, get down. I'm squeezing. And I look at him. And he's just got this weird look on his face. Not like, you know, I want to blow you up or anything. He's got his hands up like this. And he comes running at me. And I just take my butt. And I, I butt struck him. And he goes to the ground. And she starts screaming and everything. I put my, you know, get on the ground. She finally gets on the ground. And he's, you know, laying down there, you know, the big, you know. Goose smack. egg on his Yeah, nose all bleeding, you know, eyes all watering. And, and we and I get him down. And I got them down. And we get more people on him. We got him down. And I tell the, uh, my driver, I said, check the back of that truck. And I'm sitting there on it. And he goes over there. And he's like a dark complexion guy. And he looks over the thing. And he goes like dead white and i'm like what is it and he goes it's full of women and children they've all been shot so what they were doing is we finally got the translators to come up there and what they were doing is as these shiites were coming into the town they would raid the town and they would hide well they would basically round up all the people they found women kids children line them up on a wall and shoot them so this is what they did is the the parents waited until it was nighttime and loaded them all in the back of the truck and came across lines and wasn't going to stop. Yeah. So what we what they were ending up doing is getting us to do a lot of their dirty work because they wouldn't stop. We'd light them up because we thought they were they were you know you know basically coming in with car bombs. Car to, bombs. To blow yeah. You guys. Out. Yeah, yeah. So you know we started seeing there was no car bombs in the first two we did. So this one we took down in a different manner and it was it was it was just you know they were just there there was no. Um, there was no value of life with these people. Yeah. Which like totally, you know, kind of, you know, in the war we captured thousands of them and we treated them with dignity and respect, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a fellow combatant. After we started seeing what was going on, what they're doing in their own person, it kind of changed a lot of us, you know, it'd be hard not to. Yeah. It was like, boy, imagine being in world war two and walking in on concentration camps and right. And give you a whole different view of Germany and what they're capable of. Right. Right. I mean, you, you treat them with dignity and respect because that's what 
you know, that's what we're taught to do. We're America. We're, we're the ones that should be the better than the rest. But the problem of it is, is after you see the, how barbaric and how animalistic they are and kill their own person, that's why I had to, I, 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 that's why I never went back into the military because if I had to go back over there, this would be in the middle of my mind. These are people who kill women and children. I'm not giving them any, any, you know, lead or, or professionalism because these people are barbaric animals. Yeah. So, you know, that's what, pretty much did my military career seeing that kind of stuff okay so how much longer were you still stuck over there well we stayed up there probably in a couple more weeks and then we got relieved you got shipped stateside or did you go back to germany we or went back you go? yeah we we went back to kkmc which is uh like a base they had over there we were there for a little bit and uh uh it was there we started seeing the pictures of old boys uh girlfriend or wife at the time all over the the bathrooms well that's when that's when you yeah. found them after all yeah. this shit yeah after we're done going <laughs> back so we found him at kk we found some of them at kkmc and then we went back to algebra you know and you know here's a funny aside so we get back there and, they, and these guys had been there the whole time you know the the ramps and they had these big huge tents and they had wooden floors and they had they had uh you know cots and you know wall lockers and you know we've been out in since day one we were we went in the field you know we were if we got real food if there was a freaking dead bug in and we poop and ate the food you know it was like who if we were just happy to have real food so you know we get back to this place and and I'm sitting in line you know and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this chick bitch about how hard she has and how she can't take it and I actually laughing at her and she's like on the phone talking to her dad it's so horrible over here I have to sleep in a cot in a tent it's so horrible and I start laughing I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, are you shitting me? And she's like, what? I'm like, dude, I ain't seen a tent. I've slept on the ground or in a vehicle for freaking three months now. Are you kidding me? I haven't seen warm food and you're crying like that? She's like, no, leave me alone. Are you shitting me? They were definitely like the the rems hated us because we were like, are you, we're like crazy. Here's a funny story. So we get into KKMC and it's like, 11 30 and you know i'm covered I, I mean i take off my 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 goggles and so I, you're, you're just coming back in yeah yeah coming back in from You've war been out in the suck and th- for three months yeah sleeping yeah. in your humvee all that kind of shit yeah sleep in the back of your vehicle artillery yeah. fires yeah. all this kind of shit okay. yeah yeah so we come back in and, and it's like it's raining and i take off my thing and you know i look like i look you know it's like real human person you know just stuff caked on from day you know like two days of driving and i walk into the I walk into the, the mess hall and the, and the guy goes, what do you want to eat? I go, what do you got? And he goes, want a steak? Yeah, I'll take two. He's like, cooks them up and puts them on the plate. I grabbed one in one hand. I grabbed one in the other hand. I walked out of the mess hall. I walked over to the guys. And I held it up and I go, we got steak. <laughs> and I'm eating it, you know, and they're like, holy shit. And it's like, we're sitting there, you know, plates, fuck that. Silverware out there just, just eating you know, your two steaks, eating steaks. Going, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of funny, man. I went, we got steaks. It was like, shit. You know, it was like, a, like you know, the, the it's, you know, stop, 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 one at a time. And, you know, we got steaks. <laughs> it went on for like 20 minutes, you know. It was the first real food we had, you know. Oh, that's awesome. You know, we're you know, eating steaks. And the, people were like, oh, those people are effing barbaric. 
So we kind of bumped heads with the uh, the ramps when we first got back. Well, they did kind of steal your shit. Yeah, yeah. And they were sitting there doing nothing, and you guys were out in the suck fighting the war. Right. So, you know. No, I could kind of see that. But we had to get in the bunker last night because of another scud came, you know, over over our things. And, you know, oh, no, it didn't hit anywhere near us. But it was so terrifying. We're like, well, are you kidding me? You know, it was just, it was real hard for us to like, they would come over and try to tell us how hard they had it. We would just like start <laughs> laughing at them. Like seriously. So yeah, after that, we, we shipped back to Germany. Okay. How long are you stationed back in Germany then? Only a couple months. Okay. And, uh, and then. So was uh, it just downtime? You were just kind of doing drills and doing work and just kind of running around? Or? It was kind of hard because getting, getting us motivated after coming back from Iraq was a little hard for I the, can understand that. Because, you know, I mean, before you'd be out running, you know, you'd go out and run, you know, you'd be hung over and you'd run, you know, look at me, I'm a real man. Now it's like, we've been to combat this is bullshit. <laughs> Nobody wanted to run. Nobody wanted to do anything. It's like we're just, you know, like total decompressing. And then our vehicles, here is a funny thing. So our vehicles, we took them from Germany over there. So they're sitting there. And uh, I was the POW pickup team. So I got most of the, picked up most of the AKs and kept them and disassembled them, right? So they kept coming to me, you know, if you got an AK, you know, we used to have, you know, health and welfare inspections of our vehicles. And, you know, I always had three or four AKs in the vehicle. So they were like, you know, those, you know, so when we finally got back to, you know, the rear, I, I gave them, I gave all the stuff off and they're like, okay, where are they? Where are all of them really? And I'm like, I don't have any, and I'm like, oh, bull crap. So they'd go through my vehicle and not find any. Right. And so they had this big amnesty box, you know, this big crate and it was empty. Right. Other than the, what I gave them, I said, here you go. This is what I have. And they're like, yeah, right. Give us all of it. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to prison for a ak or a crappy sks i could buy one of them for 59 bucks why would i why would i do that yeah i said if there was a cool pistol that's another story because i ain't illegal right but everything i found over there was takaroffs and we found this clone this browning high power clone that it would be it'd be more dangerous to pull the trigger to you than it would (laughs) anything else the handguns over there was horrendously terrible what we found so we're so the amnesty box, you know, stays empty. So we, we're, you know, getting the vehicles ready to go back. They're doing, they're coming to me. Okay, where are they all at? I don't have them. Well, we're missing a bunch. I'm like, dude, I don't have them. I'm not the only one on this team. I gave you what I had. So they come out, right? And I had to go somewhere. And uh, I was, well, the funny thing is I did my job and then got thrown back to artillery. And I actually did my, the only time I did my job was in Iraq. And then immediately after they had to have somebody get everything ready to go back and fill out paperwork. So I was immediately promoted back to the battalion ops person because, oh, okay. because, you know, do paperwork. So the Lieutenant and I leave one day and, you know, and, and we're driving out and he goes, you realize the vehicles aren't going to go back. And I'm like, are you shitting me? He goes, no. And I start laughing. He goes, he goes, why? You got something you want to get out of? And I'm like, no, you got everything of mine. And he goes, okay. So we drive off. We come back like a day later in the amnesty box. You couldn't see it because they told everybody when I was God that they weren't taking the vehicles back. So they went and got everything and threw it in the amnesty box because why let somebody else get all the toys that they wouldn't get, you know, on their own? Yeah. So you couldn't even see the amnesty box. I mean, there were so many guns and stuff all over the amnesty box. I started laughing. I said, see, I don't have any. You were looking at the wrong person. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of funny. And then, then the vehicles ultimately got sent back to us, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, it was it was it was 
there was some good times, but you know, it's stuff like that. You know, everybody would scroll away shit, you know, to send back. And I'm like, I'm not getting in trouble for this shit. It's not worth it. No, it's just not. No, but they, I mean, if they would have actually not said that and there would have been all kinds of shit in them vehicles. Oh, uh, I'm sure. Under the engine. I mean, who knows where they had them all at, but it was kind of funny, you know, <laughs> thinking back about it, all those, all the toys they had, knives, you know, you know, I, the only thing I brought back was a helmet and I, do, I donated it to some museum. Okay. So, I don't, I didn't, you know, me, myself, and I. So, I want it back. Nothing wrong with that. So, I ended up getting out of the Army uh, a couple months early because when I was supposed to be sent back to uh, my, the date I was supposed to be sent back to the state side to go to, an, uh, to uh, get out was the day they were moving the unit over from Germany to the state side. So, I was able to move it up a couple months. Okay. So I got out, I think, three months early. Okay. And then uh, after that, you went into the police department, mm-hmm. right, down in Dallas. Right. Well, I kind of did some odd, you know, I got out of the Army. Well, this is, a, this is a sad story, right? So I get out of the Army. I think, okay, I'm out of the Army. I go back stateside. I get married to my wife. And we get married in Ohio. And I'm sitting there looking at newspapers, and there's no jobs. So I, my dad was, at the time, living in Dallas. So I told him to bring up newspapers, and I looked at the jobs, and there was there was jobs and i noticed that the that college in in ohio was three hundred dollars a class college in for the same class in in texas was about uh, 81 bucks okay so it was a lot more affordable to go to texas okay so i get married i go down to texas i apply for unemployment and i think you know you got you got this preconceived notion of what unemployment's going to be like and going in and get unemployment so i go in and I think, you know, I'm going to be with, you know, all the whiners that says, hey, you know, I can't get a job and, you know, you know, the, the scourge of the earth. So I go in there and I'm like, there's there's five guys in front of me with suits and there's five guys behind me with suits. And I'm sitting there in the line. and I'm like, so what do you work at? And he goes, oh, I work at Texas Instruments. What about you? Oh, the five in front of me is in, from Texas Instruments and the five behind me is from Texas Instruments. Oh, oh we're, all, we're the we're the Tomahawk missile program you should know about that because i told him i was in the army I said, yeah those are pretty cool he <laughs> says yeah but they're now we've been all on all laid off so we got to get another job so i had phd masters phd me army guy <laughs> army guy phd and i'm like holy shit so i spent a while trying to get a job so ended up working for a security company for a little bit i was a supervisor there and then i went back in the reserves and the training battalion uh, started doing training, but at this point, you know, George is now left. George Bush is now left. Clinton's coming in. The cuts are now starting. So I did my reserve time in a training battalion, which was eye-opening when you're in an army unit and everybody's cutting things. Yeah. So it was a lot of sitting around, especially at the end. We weren't doing anything because we had no money. Uh, you know, I went to PLDC, which is the leadership, you know, NCO leadership school is about all I did. And then, uh, while well, I'm doing that, I was going to college, got my associate's degree, and then I uh, started working reserves for Dallas and then got hired on full-time. Okay, and then how long were you a police officer down there? I was, in total, I did reserves, I did reserves, active with Dallas, and then I went with Dallas County. So that was about seven years. Okay. And then uh, you got a job for the federal government as an agent. Yep, in 2002. And that's, and that's you moved on from that, you've been doing that ever since, yep. right? Okay. Uh, 16 years. So, Awesome. 
I'll tell you what, this is a, a great place, I think, to stop things. Uh, I think we got a lot of fun stories. Oh, yeah. That was a, a lot of fun. My face hurts from smiling and laughing yeah. so much. Um, and I think we can definitely get into like a lot more of the training stuff, a lot of the things you've done with that Yep. kind of in the future. And I, I just I appreciate you being so forthright and open about the experiences and stuff you've seen. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about that. They don't like to bring up old, bad memories and whatnot. So I, I appreciate, appreciate your openness to just kind of talk to the rest of us. Uh, I'm sure it's very eye-opening for most people because they've, they've not seen half the shit that you've seen, and nor would they want to. Right. It would probably send him into a lot of therapy. Well, so, as my wife says, I probably need some, but I refuse to go. We all do, but I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that even just talking to someone, whether it be a close friend, a loved one, a relative, pastor, whatever your whatever tickles your fancy, I don't care, just talking about things can relieve so much stress. Oh, yeah. You know, mean, so, I mean, just, you know, your, your forthright is, I, I just appreciate it so much. Well, the other so thing you. is, I'm, I'm, it's 20, 27 years ago when we did this. So yeah, but still. It, it's kind of a, it's good to get it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because at some point I'm going to start forgetting all of it. I, <laughs> yeah, I probably already have, you know? There, there's probably a lot of that, and that's probably if a good thing. One of the guys from my unit here is this and goes, hey, you probably call me up and go, hey, you forgot about that. You forgot about this, you know? I mean, it gets to be where it's like, it starts to mush all together. Of course. All right. Well, uh, like I said, a good place to end. And we'll definitely pick up uh, in the future about some more training and some other things. And uh, thanks for coming on, Tom. I appreciate your time. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, folks. Well, that wraps up another episode. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did. I really loved getting to hear some of those crazy stories. I can't even imagine being where he was and seeing the things that he's seen it's just it's, it's like something out of a movie i mean it's and he lived it i i just i can't even think what it would have been like but i'm glad that i didn't have to go through it i'm thankful that that he did and that he came back in one piece and he has the fun stories to share with the rest of us uh, we will definitely have tom back on in the future we're going to talk a lot more about shooting and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, we can all learn some new things from a lot of his uh, real-world experience. If you're all still listening to the show, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. But I could use uh, some help. Let's go out to iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean, and let's give some five-star reviews of the show so we can really get this show out there to new people. Because we definitely need to grow the listener base, and the best way to do that right now is with good reviews. So please, if you could do me a huge favor... Go out there, give me some five-star reviews, tell the people what you like about the show. Tell me, tell me what you like about the show. I'd love to hear some feedback and see what you guys are thinking. Maybe if you want to hear some other things or different directions you want to go or some different topics from the guests that we've already had, you know, just let me know. We'll figure some stuff out. Don't worry, we've got some new episodes coming up soon that y'all are really going to enjoy. So we will catch you guys next time on the next episode of Uncensored Humanity.